0: What's going on, people? It's another week. It's the Live Life the Rest of the Show. Got Sincere Hogan and Mike Molly on the other side. Another good week, man. And uh, another good warm-up session before the show. It's like, you know, we got our, we got our own version of a game special going on here. So, yeah. usually we do that to actually make our guests feel comfortable, especially new guests. But... Then it, what makes it even better is when you have guests who are actually really friends of yours. Right. So then you have to kind of right. catch yourself like, oh, shit, we need to record. We're just talking and catching up. It's like, oh, man, we've been almost an hour now, man. And, uh yeah, we might actually want to record an episode for the show. But it's really easy to kind of just go off like
1: that. Yeah, I find I don't need to call any of my friends anymore. I just book them on the show whenever I want to. There with them. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's make some content out of this shit. If we just talk one-on-one, that's a waste of time, man. No one's hearing it. (laughs) Get on the show. We'll actually make some content out of it. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the same things. Yeah, so it's good to have Scott on. We're going to talk to him in a second. Last week we had a guest who flaged, which was good because it gave me a chance to get my taxes done. So bang that motherfucker <laughs> out of the way. I don't have to think about that.
0: <laughs> you know? I got some extra knife training in that day. I was like, all right, cool, man. So I told my buddy, hey, let's train today. What no shots? Ah, <laughs>
1: we're good, man. Trust me.
0: I'm <laughs> not sweating. Yeah, we, have, we, have I'm an guest not
1: we have an extremely high flakeout rate among Potentially booked female guests, so maybe that's part of the Me Too movement. It's part of it's a club where if I played on the
0: show, yeah, it's yeah like, hey, I, I flake on that show too. Me I, too. I can't, keep my, I can't keep my word. Me too. <laughs> I can't make it appointment. point. I open myself. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: What's funny is when someone flakes and they're, they're totally oblivious. They're like, Oh, I've, I've got this going on that day. It's like, well, look, I asked you a month ago. It's not like I asked you yesterday. If you can call It wasn't like it was call. It was actually writing. It was an email. There's an exchange. So there's black, right. there's print
0: right there in front of you. So what you're telling me is that either you're ditzy as hell or you can't read. <laughs> it's like it's right there. And guess what? They have this thing. It's called, and it's for free. It's called Google Calendar. Okay. You ever try, try using it sometimes. So there you go. It's just sometimes amazing.
1: people just sometimes sometimes people just get an offer and they don't read anything. They just go, "Yeah, I'm in."
0: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that <laughs> too. Like, Oh yeah. Would love to. <laughs> it's like you know. Fortunately, we're not like that. We get all these offers every day. Like, hey, we think soas will be great for your show, and then they'll end up naming some show that has nothing to do with us. <laughs> and so, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> so you know how we you know how we reply to that? We don't. <laughs> okay, so if you want if you want these people out here thinking that someone would be a great guest and we've never talked about them before, never mentioned them before, and they're pretty much talking about some crap that we've probably had a topic on the show at least four or five times, please don't, don't waste your time and th- then you'll get offended. Like they never replied back to me. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing, man, when people do that. You know, like at least have the common courtesy to know what the show is about, the name of the show, and the name of the guest. Or don't panic like, "Hey, Mike, is here big fans? You know, we think so and so be a great, a great guest for your show. You know, the blah 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 show." I'm like, "What fucking show is that?"
2: It's like,
0: wait a, minute, wait a minute, Mike. I I, mean, I know we both want to do you know different projects or whatever, but I've never heard you mention that show before. It's like, what the hell are you talking?
1: About? Yeah, we'd love to get so and so on your Red Rose show. <laughs> your yeah, Red Rose. <laughs>
0: Is that like rosé? Is that like wine? We're, we're a nice. big
1: fan of your show, the Horse and Buggy Extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show where every episode is recorded in a horse and buggy. Every <laughs>
0: I just figured, since the series from Texas, I
1: thought you know that would be the name of the show.
0: Like, come on, man. <laughs>
1: Well, cool, man. You guys know what to do. Use that coupon code LLA. Go get 10% off all the best supplements out there. Everything is back in stock by the time this episode comes out. Red is fully stocked. Testosterone boosters locked and loaded. So now's a good time to get those bundles. Use that coupon code. Get big savings. And remember, when you buy more, say, let's say you buy two of each, you get an inherent savings, and then you're getting 10% off of that. So if you buy five bottles, for example, of the testosterone booster, it brings the, the bottle the price per bottle down to about $40, and then you're getting 10% off of that, so you get a huge savings. So make sure you take charge of that over at com, and make sure you give us reviews on iTunes, on Stitcher. Let's get those reviews above 300. I and mean, when we have thousands of people listening to the show, and we're stuck around 220. So just go on there, a sentence or two about the show, your favorite guest, or hell, if you're really busy, just go on there and say, great show, five stars, move on. Even that helps. There you go. <laughs> So very simple. And last but not least,
0: head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. Become a monthly subscriber to the show, and you will get bonus episodes as well as ad-free episodes as well as Q&A episodes as well. You get to submit your questions, and we'll compile them together. We'll put together an episode addressing some of those Q&A questions. So you can do that as well, and also the extra little things we're throwing in now, even live lenses where while we're talking to guests like today we're talking to Scott, you actually have lenses where you get to see right then and there. We're actually recording the show a little behind the scenes and it's available for like 24 hours on Patreon, little things like that. So you kind of get a heads up and get an idea of what that show is going to be about way before it comes out, man. So just again, getting some of that behind the scenes stuff that the free episodes, they don't have access to. So again, patreon.com slash LLA podcast, become a subscriber and uh, make that happen. All right,
1: man. Yeah, and if you, I mean, the next 10 people, the next 10 people who subscribe, we're going to send you an exclusive trip of Nick Delgado working out for an audition for the show. They're actually going to do a reboot of the show, HBO show Oz, and Nick is actually trying out for the show. There's a clip that we'll send you where it's just him and a friend of his going through a workout, which just shows you that he's a good fit for the part. (laughs) <laughs> we'll play we'll play some sound effects from that workout before yeah, before
0: the conversation. Over. We'll
1: drop some sound effects in there right in the middle of somewhere in this conversation today i'm just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna interject some audio from that workout <laughs> oh man all right scott how you doing today buddy good
2: man good thanks uh thanks for having me uh back on it's good to talk to you guys
1: yeah, it's always fun. We were talking for about a half hour before we started recording. And most of that is stuff that we can we can just regurgitate that at some point during this conversation. <laughs> It'll probably come up.
2: right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was interesting stuff. But just yeah. on the training front, just curious your thoughts on a couple of things. One, one legged squats, right? Pistols started doing those again. I do them to a low box. Always like the exercise Just one of those things I rotated out for a while. But I'm curious what you think on carryover to barbell squats, if any. Do you think there's benefit on one-legged squats and their carryover to other moves?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I haven't really seen anything like that myself. Um, and I, I've always looked at the uh, isolateral exercises as more of a supplementary exercise or, you right. know, an accessory exercise to do along with, you know, the, the squats and the deadlifts and things like that. So, I mean, I've I personally never taken a single leg squat with myself and my athletes and then, you know, done them, then, you know, tried to compare them. I, I think there's probably an element of specificity, you know, that would come into play there. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, I think, you know, I think with, like, the pistols and, you know, a lot of the one-legged movements and, of course, a lot of the body weight movements, I, I just think there's they're a really cool, almost like an athletic exercise, you know I mean, because there's an element of mobility, you know, flexibility. There's all this other cool stuff that goes along with those types of exercises that I think, you know, creates a tremendous right. amount of value in them.
1: Yeah, so they're worth doing in and of themselves, but not necessarily for any carryover they may have elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if I do them in lieu of, but definitely, like you know, I, I think they they're a great fit with the the heavier, more you know, uh, lifts like the, the deadlifts and the squats and stuff like that for sure.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the way I look at glute ham raise. It's not a it's not a unilateral exercise, but it's it's a good exercise in and of itself, and it has some carryover. To deadlifts, but if you do it in place at deadlifts, you're not going to even maintain your deadlift strength. You're definitely not going to increase it. You know, maybe if you're burned out and you just cut deadlifts out for a couple weeks and you did something else, and then you go back. Yeah, and that, that's just because giving right your body a break.
0: There's the key. Yeah. Right so when you hear some of these. Some of these gurus saying, like, oh man, you don't have to do bench. You know, you can just do a thousand push ups and, you know, you'll get way stronger. Yeah, that's going to be very limiting after a while. Look, man, if you want to go up in, in weight and move more mass, you're going to have to lift some freaking weights other than yourself. Unless, you, unless you're unless you gaining weight while you're sitting <laughs> there doing all these push ups. <laughs> so it's like, you, as your numbers increase as far as reps, you know, so is your body weight. You know, that's the only way you're probably getting stronger if you can keep moving that body weight with, you know, with those reps. But otherwise, come on, man, you have to lift some weights at some time. Kind of goes back to the argument like, you know, why do deadlifts when, you know, with a barbell when you can just do them with a kettlebell? Well, I'm like, yes, yeah, that's going to be very limiting. <laughs> so, you know, don't sit there and think that yeah. you're going to move. You can be just walk in one day at a gym and lift six plates if you've never used plates, never used barbells in the first place, and all you used was a kettlebell. It's just not going to carry over like that. Just, you know, get over the pipe dream of that. But usually, that's usually somebody that's trying to sell you something or somebody that's weak at one at that certain thing that they say they can use that other thing in place of it. And they suck at it. There's other things. So they're like, oh, I don't do that because I just use this instead. So they're overcompensating right. for something else, man, when they say stuff like that. <clears throat> so
1: run and yeah. they come at
0: you with that kind of
1: stuff. Well, I mean, and just also neurologically, if you just do push-ups and you're hoping that improves your bench press, neurologically, you're not developing that. There's a certain right. neurological development you have to have with any heavy exercise. Your brain has to be ready to accept it. So, I mean, if you're squatting exactly. six plates and you've just done other variations of the squats, your brain is not ready. Your body's you're not ready right. either, but your brain is definitely not ready. <laughs> right. The second you take the weight <laughs> off the pins, you, you know you're not ready. <laughs> so you get a clink, 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 you're gonna clink? you cling, like, oh hell, what have I got myself?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well
2: then you know that, that, that's yeah, a lot of weight point, going you know, down
0: real fast.
2: <laughs> that, that's a great point, Mike. You know, when, when you talk about when you talk about these uh, strength exercises is that neur- the the neural connection. You know, so doing right. these high rep, you know, push-ups are a great exercise. There's no question about it. Is it gonna drive your bench up? No. But in a program where you're benching heavy, I think you need that high volume, the, whether it's dumbbell presses, whether it's push-ups, whether it's dips, the exercises that you're doing, you know, for a lot of reps where you're, you're increasing blood flow, you're increasing muscle mass, all that stuff has to work synergistically mm-hmm. together. You know, you just can't right. lift maximal weights all the time. You can't just do right. high volume repetition exercise all the time. This stuff's got to all go hand in hand, you know, to, to help you get to your highest potential on the exercise.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Exactly. No, yeah. Sometimes you have to change something up. I mean, no one just walks around at like five miles per hour all the freaking time in a straight line. Every now and then you gotta have some type of variation. You gotta run. You gotta skip. You, you know, sometimes you gotta run up the freaking stairs. Otherwise, it's like, dude, you you're getting nowhere fast. And this is the same. That's the equivalent of that. Doing the same thing here. You're doing the same thing over and over and over, and thinking that you're gonna actually get improvements with that. It's just not gonna work that way. That's just not how life is in any aspect, whether it's training Pretty or whatever so. else
2: that stuff addresses your weak points too. You know, I mean, if, if your triceps, your delts are, are a muscle group, you know, that's holding your bench press back or maybe it's your lats or something like that, then you've got to use, you've got to, you know, intelligently program your, your accessory work to strengthen up those weak points. I, I mean, I, I never like, when, when you know, I know we talked on one of the previous episodes about one of the trips that I took up the to West Side. But when I went up there with a couple of the powerlifters I trained, as female powerlifter who's been trying to crack the 200 barrier in a long time, always got buried with 200. You know, bench 185. She could do, you know, every single time that's on the bar, whether she's, you know, in a bad state and a recovered state, she could always bench 185. Anything over that would just pin her to the bench. And Louie took one look at her and he said, you know. He said her triceps are massive, but she's got no delts, no front delts. He goes, Mm -hmm. do some front delt work and do a lot of push-ups. We did that after after he watched her get stapled with like 200 pounds at Westside. Six weeks later in a contest, she smoked 200 after just hammering those hammering those. We were doing a lot of front delt raises and a lot of push-ups as accessory work to her main bench work, and it was amazing. I mean, the, the weight just flew off her chest six weeks later. So I think, you know, you got an experienced guy like that can just look at you and tell you what's wrong, oh, yeah. but it just you really drove that. home the importance of don't neglect mm-hmm. the smaller muscle groups. You know, sometimes just benching isn't going to do it. You've got to do the, the single joint movements, you know, to strengthen up those weak points.
0: And the one thing yeah, you just said at the very beginning of that, you said intelligently designed. See, that's the problem right there for a lot of trainees because they think, you know, they just think like, oh, I'm going to go with this. And just kind of wing it. Throw some stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. So yeah. that's where getting a a really really experienced coach in your corner to design programs for you like yourself, Scott, that's what people need to do, man, to really help them out. Otherwise they're just going to get frustrated. So I can just imagine how that female trainee would have been. if she just continued to try to figure that out for herself. And she's like, I don't understand what's going on. Sometimes you need someone, you need another set of eyes that, you know, and that's not as biased and attached to this goal as you are. They can just give you this, this objective opinion. Like, ah, I see what's really going on right here because they can look for different things. And meanwhile, when it's you, you're looking for 200. She's looking for, I got to get to 200. Why the hell can I get to 200? Therefore, she's so focused on that. She's not paying attention to all those other things that need improvement to help her get to 200. In her mind, exactly. she's probably just thinking, like, I just I can't crack this code. It's, maybe it's not for me. And this is where a lot of people get frustrated. And they'll just say, like, well, maybe it's just not for me. Maybe I just need to do something else or just quit altogether. So it, it doesn't hurt to have a fresh pair of eyes, man, especially an experienced yeah. pair of eyes. To look for you,
2: well, Or you get so. stuck doing more of the same, like like we always thought it was her triceps, you know, because yeah. she yeah. had no issues getting the weight off the chest, you know, getting the weight off the chest. It was a lot of times, you know, midway up or lockout. So, she, I mean, she's hammering the hell out of her triceps, doing upwards of 80 to 100 reps of accessory, you know, exercises mm-hmm. for her triceps for workouts. So, you know, we might have thought, well, we just need to work them harder, you know, more more weight, <laughs> right. more volume. And then for him to just look at her and say she's got no front belts, you know, fix that. And, I mean, it was so blatantly obvious you just overlook it, you know, because you always think, like, and I know Poliquin's a big guy, you know, a uh, uh, proponent of if you're doing a lot of pressing, you don't need to do a lot of anterior delt work because the anterior delt's already getting a lot of, you know, work during overhead presses, bench press, and things like that, and there's no, no question about that. But for some reason, you know, maybe because her triceps were so dominant or whatever, they just were the weak point in, in, the, in the bench press, and we just never even considered it because I'm thinking, like, wow, she's already getting plenty of anterior delt work as it is, but doing that yeah. muscle in isolation for a while was the ticket and I, it it got our bench moving, you know, until the next weak point emerged. So it's, it might, you know, my lesson that day was don't get so stuck in the same, you know, okay, after bench, we got to hit the triceps because it's it's triceps, triceps, try, you know, think about other moving, you know, think about the lats and how they control your bar path. Think about, you know, the upper back, you know, your, your, your technique your positioning on the bench instead of just thinking about that lockout all the time. So it was a, it was a nice little wake up call for me to hear Louie say that.
1: Well, credit to you as well for even taking your client there and right. getting that fresh pair of eyes. Because a lot of trainers don't want input from other yeah. trainers because they somehow think it diminishes their their that's clout right. with their client. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No doubt. No. I, 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 that's why I love talking to guys like you and, and sincere and you know everybody else. I mean, I I always get something, you know, from those conversations. You know, I'm, I'm I'm always happy to to talk to people. I mean, that's how you learn. You know, you don't learn anything by doing the same shit over and over.
1: Yeah, no doubt. The fresh pair of eyes definitely helps. Mark Philippi is really good like that too. You could take a clip of you doing something and just send it to him. He'll break it down real fast. I remember I showed him a deadlift clip. I'm like, what reckon I was like, what would you advise me to do? And <laughs> he basically advised me to call in an airstrike and start over. You know, that's how bad the <laughs> technique was. <laughs> he's
2: like, Mike, I, Mike, I suggest you start doing Pilates. You know. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. But after that, he goes, he goes. There's no dip and drive here, man. You're just you're just pulling the bar off the ground with your back. And that's why it's moving so slow and so forth. But that brings me to another question. Do you think there's benefit of doing purposely slow deadlifts? In other words, very deliberate in those first couple inches where generally as we get more advanced, we do that dip and drive in order to explode through that point. But do you think there's benefit in purposely not doing that so that we have a Very deliberate grind in those first very difficult inches in order to strengthen that range of motion.
2: That's a good question, man. And I think I I would have to say, not so much with, at least in my experience, not so much with conventional deadlift. Because I think in conventional deadlift you rely on that explosive pop off the ground to get it going. Where where I usually see the deceleration in the conventional deadlift is somewhere about you know an inch or two below the knees through the lockout. And I, I think that's where I'd probably, for my conventional pullers, we usually do high, higher pulls like off blocks, like 5-inch blocks or 8-inch blocks or rack pulls or things like that, where we're able to overload the top end with a, uh, a super maximal weight so that they can purposely strain, you know, that area that they're going to be straining during the lockout because I've never right. had a conventional puller have an issue getting the weight off the ground. Now, on the flip side of that, sumo deadlifters usually – take a while to get the weight moving, but if they can get it up to, you know, about knee level, it's usually no issue locking it out because the right. leverage is so good at that point. You know, if they lose it at the top, it's usually because of a grip, not because of their their back or anything like that, but it's breaking the ground. So, you know, I, I can definitely see uh, a little bit of value for maybe overloading the, the lower end or doing some some purposely grinding movements with the sumo deadlift. Um, I've, I've not had that experience with the conventional, though, but I, I'm not to say that, that that's the, the correct way or anything, but I, I usually see it being more of a few inches below the knees through the, through the lockout, you know, being where we usually got to focus more of that, that grinding or that straining.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing around with it. I mean, I'm switching back to dipping and driving now, but I've been, I have been was playing around with it for a while. I took a break from deadlifting when I did the small off routine. So when I brought deadlifts back into my routine, I just gradually built the weights back up. And then I decide oh, I'm in no hurry to get to heavy weights, so let's just do some of these deliberate motions. It's definitely uncomfortable because you're used to getting that pop, where that that's yeah. a confidence builder, right? You get that when you can, when you can time the drive perfectly. It's it's a great feeling because the weight just pops off. It's a huge confidence builder. It basically, pops to halfway up your shins, and then from there you just drive it all the way to the top. So when you're purposely driving it slow, it looks like. You're trying to lift it in slow motion, but you don't have a choice because when you take that momentum out of it, it's very slow off the floor. It's also somewhat more dangerous as well because that's the range where you're more likely to get injured. Yeah.
2: Well, have you ever uh, experimented with isometrics through those uh, those
1: ranges? No, I haven't. But that's something that Kristen Thibodeau brought up as well. Is that something you've tried?
2: Yeah, we've been using them a lot, and I've been, we've been using them, in different, actually, it was uh, Louie who got me onto them, you know, I, I, isometrics, like, everybody's forgotten about them, you know, and yeah. uh, th- they I, I think there's a lot of, lot of benefit to them, like, one of the things that we've been, you know, because you can create. Maximal amounts of force and you can do it with various loads on the bar. Like you could do it with an empty bar and just, you know, pull in the pins or you could put say 80% of your max or so whatever percent of your max that you want to work isometrically, you can do that very easily. And, you know, they say, if you read a lot of the literature that isometrics radiate something like 10 to 15 degrees on either, uh, you know, uh, above or below the point that you're working. So with a deadlift, you know, anywhere from three, four, maybe five positions and you can cover the entire range but oh, yeah. we've we've experimented with in lieu of like a maximal effort exercise, we've done isometrics, and then also uh, we've done isometrics like on our on the dynamic effort day where we'll do the isometrics first, and then we'll we'll move on to the speed work after that. And seen a lot of benefit. And I'll tell you one thing: I've been seeing a huge amount of benefit with the isometrics with both my uh, the grapplers and fighters, and I'm training and some of my 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 baseball and softball player I'm training who have seen huge improvements in hip strength and back power, what we'll do is we'll do a contrast. So if we're going to work, say, five points of isometrics in the deadlift, uh, we'll start with the lowest point, then just kind of work our way up. We'll do about a uh, five-, six-second isometric hold, and then we'll go over and we'll do a set with maybe 60% of their max for a set of five in a full-range deadlift. You see what I'm saying there? So we'll do the isometric yeah. Then we'll go over to the deadlift platform and we'll have the bar loaded with anywhere, you know, fifty, sixty 60%, you know, a, a relatively lightweight that they can move fast. And then they'll knock right. out a, a triple or a set of five. And then we, we go back and we work the next point on the ice So we raise the pins up a little bit and we'll go through the, the four or five points that we're working like that. And I've seen a lot of, lot of benefit and hit power with my, uh, with my jiu-jitsu guys and fighters, and I've got a, a young girl, a softball player, who's a catcher, and we've seen huge net increases in bat speed and her getting out of her catcher stance to, you know, to make like a throw to second. Really explosive, really powerful, and, and seen a lot of benefit doing that.
1: Oh, very cool. Well, what do you do when you design programs for fighters? You have them come in for a physical assessment where you look at their strengths and weaknesses and start there?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, it. it you know, it, what's funny is, is I've been really working a lot with them over the past. Uh, I've worked with uh, martial artists for a long time now, but still so over the past couple of years, I've really gotten a ton in, and, and they're all from the same academy down here in uh, in uh, Swanee, Georgia. It's uh, Creighton MMA. Uh, There's a little background on him. Paul Creighton is the the owner of this academy, and he's a second-degree black belt under Henzo Gracie and has black belts in, I think, three or four other disciplines. I, I think judo, a striking discipline, and I, I don't want to you know, falsify his credentials, but I know he's got a few different black belts, but he is, I believe, a second-degree under Henzo Gracie and uh, he's a fantastic teacher. And that, that's uh, sincere. That's where uh, Christy, uh, Christy's fiancé, Jason, uh, trained before yes. he moved to Texas. Um, yeah. So Jason was the first guy I trained there, and then This other guy came along who was a blue belt back in 2012 named Chris Jones. Started, I trained him for his first uh, tournament that he did where he ended up winning uh, as a blue belt. He won. It was called the Lutadors down here. He won uh, six. He had six matches to go to the gold and he won all by submission. And then he just went on this terror of a a random jujitsu competition after that. Now he's now a brown belt. He's teaching how to, he's starting his own, uh, school down here actually out of my my gym and he's brought in a lot of his teammates from up there and and nobody else has caught you know they're all from Creighton so I've I've always joked with these guys that I'm like the unofficial strength coach for uh, Creighton MMA because those are the only guys that I'm training (laughs) but we see huge 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 improvements with all of them because most of them Mike to answer your question most of them are lacking in uh, maximal strength and aerobic capacity you know, a lot of people do, like, circuit training or they do interval training and things like that. Right. So a lot of them have pretty good anaerobic development. But I think what holds back a lot of their abilities is having a good aerobic base and then having the uh, the maximal strength in addition to that. So you see a lot, particularly with fighters, you know, they just have an issue with being able to throw hard strikes, you know, toward the end of a fight because they're, you know, they use this generic term, cardio. You know, you hear Joe Rogan say, oh, he's got good cardio. He's got bad cardio, right? But there's there's... <laughs> There, there's other things to consider other than just quote unquote cardio. You know, you've got the the aerobic energy system, and then the two anaerobic energy systems. So in each you, you can't they need to be conditioned independently from each other. But the aerobic energy system is probably the most overlooked because nobody wants to do aerobic training anymore. You know, it's almost like you're almost a, a weakling if you do do aerobic training. But again, going back to that intelligently implemented, uh, you know, idea, aerobic training really needs to be a big part of the conditioning of these guys. So usually that's what I see when I, when I meet with these guys is they usually need a little bit more aerobic work, a better aerobic foundation, and then they need tons of maximal effort work and, you know, you uh, uh, dynamic effort work on top of that, the, the speed and, and the strength. Uh, they usually, uh, have those two, those two aspects of the game, uh, need to be improved on. And then once they do that, they find that they're more hip drive, They're kicking harder, they're striking harder, and and almost within two, three, four weeks every single time. So I always assess the guys when I meet with them, and that's usually what I see from the get-go, and I just work them into the rotation, kind of customize the plan for them a little bit based on what they need, but they all respond to it very, very quickly.
1: Yeah. I think sleep is probably another one. I've been reading this book called Peak Performance. It's really good. The authors talk about how if you take your sleep from seven to nine hours, just that, nine hours every night, that'll improve your running speed by 10%. That's and a amazing. lot of people are not even into seven, forget about nine hours, they're not even at seven. Right. We, they talk a lot about how you can improve training performance just by getting more sleep. So I'm actually going to do an experiment. I'm, I'm a pretty good sleeper as it is. I get definitely no less than seven, usually eight most nights. But I'm going to try to prioritize getting nine every night. And they go, naps don't help. So in other words, in, in this context, so, in other words, if you get, let's say, seven hours, then you take a, a one-hour nap. The problem with one-hour nap is you get into a deep sleep state, and then you have to yeah, wake right up. Exactly. And then you're really yeah, foggy. Right? So, that's why more than 30 minutes 30 is minutes counterproductive. Work if you do an hour in the afternoon or a longer, now you're going to have a hard time sleeping that at night. So, it throws off your nighttime yeah. sleep. And it's the long stretches of sleep where you get the most benefit. That's why you hear a lot of these quacks talking about, oh, I only sleep three hours at night and then I sleep, and then I take three or four 30-minute naps throughout the day, and they somehow think it's the same thing. I go, no, you're not in the state long enough to derive maximum benefit for the growth. The growth hormone production and the testosterone production doesn't happen until hours into it. You're not getting it in the first 30 minutes. Look, man,
0: that, that's the equivalent of saying, like, you know, I'm a good lover, man. So Instead of an hour, you know, I just sit there and give it my best five minutes, 12 times a day, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they always still always has these like sex analogiess's <laughs> like okay to, to, to further enough, to further elaborate on this sleep let me give you another analogy that's like big again i'm gonna give you hey, a man. minute yeah, you haven't heard the episode yet, Scott, but we had Delgado on a couple episodes ago, and it was a really good discussion on estrogen dominance and causes of it and so forth, and then towards the end, he just makes this total pivot. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna talk about why, how do you, how to use a dildo on women, you know, how to use a vibrator on women, the benefits <laughs> of a water pick on yeah, the clit. I was like, where the fuck did this come yeah, from? they have got this little shower head
0: device for the clit that really gives her
1: pleasure. I'm like what? I just kept asking, How do we get here? <laughs> <I'm> like, really. <laughs> and then and then he goes, he goes, You ever noticed that whatever you ever notice that when you're in a public hot tub, women always gravitate towards this part of it and then position themselves in this way? I go, No. I haven't noticed. That. No, not at all. And I've, been to, I've been to a lot of hot tubs all over the fucking world, too. And I've never seen a woman ever do that, especially with other – maybe at home in her private hot tub, but not, not in the public one. You know? It's like, hey, guys, let me jump in the hot tub real quick. Oh, don't mind me. I'm just going to position my leg over here so that I'm getting this jet. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> On that note, I, re- I just remembered a question I was going to ask you on deadlifts before we got off that. What do you think about that? You, you notice when people do that roll, they do that roll, dip and drive, or they roll the bar and then dip down and try to... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, mean, I, see, yeah.
2: I see how this ties into a hot tub positioning for sure. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> yeah you, you know, I, I, I actually know a couple of people that do that. And I think it's one of those things, like, I know you talked about that, you know, the, the, what Philippi worked with you, you know, on the dip and drive and how if you're a little off, it doesn't work, but if you nail it, it's, it just, it's, yeah, it's it has the weight percent feels long. like 10% lighter or whatever. I think that's exactly what they say about it too. Like it's, it's a, a lot to do with the timing, but it just allows them to load, you know, to, to load up and create a lot of tension very very right. quickly, and and I think the momentum of the bar because if the bar is even the slightest bit out in front of you, it's just going to swing back to the midline anyway. So I think that roll it gets the bar moving back toward them. So you're pulling the bar back into you. There's less chance of it swinging away from your body. Now I don't know if they're doing that to over uh, you know to like overcome those issues, but it just seems like I see. I see why they do it. I've never experimented with myself, uh, but I I definitely know people who do it, and they they swear by it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, different people's opinion on that, because Ed Cohen, is not a who's Mark Filippi's friend and mentor, is not a big fan of the dip and drive. He goes, a lot of times people try to dip, and then they don't position, they pull in a suboptimal position. He's a big believer in take as much time as you need to to get in the right position and then pull. It's, it's interesting. and he's obviously a very successful power lifter. Oh, that yeah. works for him. So I guess you, you really just have to experiment with different things. The bar roll I've never I've never that always throws things off for me. I'm, I'm just not coordinated hey, enough to put it all together. Just ben- doing the Benedict, dip and drive takes a certain amount. Uh, Benedict Magnuson did it very successfully, and I mean he he was the
2: first. Uh, I, I don't he I, he wasn't the first to break. I think Andy Bolton was the first to break a thousand, but I think Benedict Magnuson has the still has the power lifting. Now I know a lot of strong men have, you know, Eddie Hall pulled 1102 and, and uh, Thor pulled uh, 1040 something, I think at the Arnold That's recently. So you've got strong men who are pulling like big, big weights into the thousands, but in powerlifting rules where, uh, you know, which is no straps. Um, Right. I think Benedict Magnuson still has the record at 10 16 and I know he was one of those guys who believed you know he he rolled that bar right into his shins and would rip the weight up and I mean he god he he looks as strong with that 1000 as he does with you know 6 700 pounds. I mean he he was a phenomenal puller.
1: Yeah, this this is wild. It's crazy when you watch clips. It's it's hard to believe that it's actually happening. I mean that's so much weight.
2: Oh, it's amazing, man. Eddie it, it, it was so fun like over the last couple of years watching Eddie and Thor and all those strong, you know, uh, uh, Brian, I mean, all these big strong men just like, just crushing these weights into the thousands for not, and, and you always get these fucking idiots on online. Yeah. But that was with straps or, but you know, <laughs>
1: shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you back put was straps on
2: and you, Yeah. It, oh God. It's so that's the other one. His
1: back is rounding. It's like, yeah, yeah. what happens when he was 2.5 <laughs> three times or more, four times. Exactly. Your back's going to round a little bit. And, and exactly. trying to prevent it from trying to prevent it from rounding is just a waste of effort too. Just let it fucking round, you know. But we're not uh, talking yeah. about excessive rounding here. Ed Ed Peoples yeah. was a believer. He actually thought that letting your back round was actually improved performance. I and mean, he weighed one sixty five and he could deadlift seven hundred pounds. He thinks trying to get into that anatomically right position was just a waste of effort. He just let he let the, the bar pull the shoulders into the socket and his upper back would round and he just went with it.
2: Yeah, look at, uh, Constantin. I, I'm sure I'm going to butcher his name, but KK, you know, Constantin, Constantinos, who pulled the 934, 936 without a belt even. He was a big wow. proponent of that thoracic Shit. spine rounding. I mean, he's, uh, he's actually, I think he's in, uh, Pavel, whatever that, uh, Power to the People Pro or whatever. He, there's a nice okay. big article in there about his, uh, his deadlift training. And, and I know Louie talked about it when we were at Westside. How he's a big, uh, it, Louis himself is a big proponent of that thoracic spine rounding because it, it decreases the, the range of motion you got to pull it. Right. And, and it's just right. like you said, you know, all that extra effort to to pull the shoulder blades back and get the chest up. I mean, that's, you know, you get to a heavy enough weight, any a relatively heavy enough weight for you, your, your chest is yeah, going to round gonna,
1: down anyway. Right. You're not going to L2 fight against that. And if you do, oh, yeah. that's just going to take away from the performance. What about? I know Louis. I believe Louis said he's not a fan of low bar on squats. Is that correct? You know what's
2: interesting because yeah, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say he's he's against it in any way. But I, you know, it's so funny, and I think this is the difference. Like when people talk about you know like the West Side Method versus actually going there and learning from Louis himself. You see sure. so much difference in what these people who've never been there, but they read one of his <laughs> articles or whatever, and they take something he said right. like out of context. You know, right. I, he he like he yelled at my lifter Amanda for having the bar too low on her back. He made her get it way up on her traps, you know, and get her, her body more upright. So I don't know that they've ever been a, a proponent. I'm, I'm sure some of the lifters there do it. You know, I mean, because everybody yeah, everybody's body mechanics are different. You got to find what works best for you. But he told us, he's like, get the bar up there on the traps. You know, he, he's like, I don't get this, you know, low bar thing. It's almost like he's, he's never really even talked about, like, low bar power squats or whatever, you know, like a lot of these people say. Because, you know, you hear this distinction between ollie squats and powerlifting squats. And, I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost right. stupid. I mean, you know, Olympic lifters squat the way they do for a different reason. You know, right, powerlifting, right. you just got to break parallel. So you got to find, you know, the, the body mechanics that work best for you to get you to the position that you need to be in for the sport. But he, right. he he didn't necessarily say that he wasn't in favor of low bar squats. But I, I will say that, in, and I wouldn't consider her squat a low bar squat by any stretch of the imagination. Like I've seen people with it really low. In fact, they you know they, they really some of the federations I know they make a big point to say the bar cannot be off the deltoids or or you know more than an inch below the top of the deltoid. Using rules on where the bar can go as far as uh, low bar placement. But uh, he he told her to get the bar higher up on her traps. I mean, the, the first time he saw her squat, so it, it, it seems like he does favor a higher bar position and, and a more upright chest. And if you watch the videos of those guys, even though they're squatting with super super wide stance, their their body is very upright. And I yeah. think a lot of that goes along with because they still favor multiply equipment uh, squatting in canvas okay. suits. I've heard that if you if you get bent over. You're gonna pitch that bar forward really, really easily. In in canvas gear you need to have a much more upright whereas in polyester gear you can get away with a little bit more forward torso angle. Uh but I, I have heard that about the, the You may you probably
1: so. you probably You probably can't lean over anyway with some of those suits. You're probably forced upright, whether you like it or not, just like with a lot of those bench press shirts. I mean, you look at the shoulder, (laughs) but it's funny to watch someone try to put one of those on. And it's even funnier when they're trying to take it off. There's two guys trying to get get this guy out of the shirt they putting their foot on your side to pull it over your head.
2: And <laughs> and the gear has gotten crazy, man. It's gotten really the gear, crazy. The
1: gear cracks me up because a lot of these people can't even lower the bar until it gets really heavy. Right? When it's 135, the range of motion is three inches, and then finally four or five plates go on. They can finally lower it to their chest. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting, man. Kind of, you're trying to fight it from locking out on you, you know. Exactly. <laughs> like as you're as you <laughs> as you're lowering it, the shirt is trying to lift it back for you. It's like, hold on, not ready yet. <laughs> it changes. You
2: have got to actually pull the bar down into the shirt, you know. To it, it's it's a different it's a different dynamic, man. I mean, but those guys, man. Yeah. You
1: have you ever, gotta, what, have yeah, you ever used one? Have
2: you ever used The shirt is like the biggest pain in the ass on the planet, man. I mean, the, the squat suits <laughs> were pretty easy to learn bench shirts yeah i'll tell you who was great with the bench shirt who gave me a lot of good tips you know back back you know when i was interested in powerlifting was uh, jack reap uh that, that oh, yeah, guy knew how to great he knew how to dial in a shirt man he he's that guy's brilliant you know when it comes to
1: oh yeah he's really smart guy. yeah yeah i've worked out with him a couple times he's a really cool guy he's the guy he's the guy who told you i <laughs> remember we were laughing about how i took him to where did i take him to i took him I took him to get hummus, and it wasn't even remotely close to a hummus place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's, what's the name of that place? On the uh, – it's down the end of the right strip, now. wasn't it? No, it was at it was at the Link late night place. I haven't been there in so long; I just can't remember the name of it. But it's basically one step above Denny's, right? And we met <laughs> over there. <laughs> and then you're like he's tell he's telling you, it's like, Yeah, Mike and I had a great time. He took me to this this great hummus place. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you loved it, know was what, man. it was basically the equivalent of going to Denny's for hummus and calling that a hummus <laughs> place. <laughs>
2: hey, whatever it was, man, he 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 loved the hummus there, so
1: It'd be like you and I, go, it'd be like the three of us going to Denny's for a veggie burger and saying, man, we just went to this great <laughs> vegan restaurant. <laughs> this great veggie burger over there. <laughs> so they're, they're probably just throwing like an old Morningstar Farms patty or something on the grill, right? Yeah, Jack's a really cool guy. very sharp guy. I haven't talked to him in a while. I wonder if he, is he still competing? Is he still, I know he was working nah. on a thousand, thousand pound squad at one point.
2: I, I, he, I knew he was working on an eight hundred because uh, he had gotten a double ply. Uh, he had gotten a Titan Boss. I, I remember a, a double ply. Uh, oh, yardhouse yard
1: house. Yard house is the place I was thinking of. Finally, oh, yeah, okay. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is not a bad place. Is that the sports place. bar? It, it's it has it has it has a sports bar to it. it. Yeah. They've, yeah. Got a, uh, yeah. they've
2: got a they've got a garden. They've got like a garden vegan menu, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. 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 We. Yeah. Go there.
1: Whenever I come, we got out there, one of those down know, here.
0: Stop, I mean, Yeah, we got one. Yeah, there. there's
1: one right there's one right across the street from the Brooklyn Bulls. So if you ever go to a concert, yep. it's a great place to go afterwards. So that's why I've been there a couple times. It's not. A, it's not a bad place at all. They actually have some good options for us there. Yeah, it's, it's just it's not, it's not bad. the place place that, comes your mind when you want hummus. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's just, exactly, I'm thinking about a exactly. Mediterranean restaurant and not right. that
0: yard house. So
2: yeah, that, that, that's actually where <laughs> I eat. I'm thinking vegan hot
0: wing. Yeah, I'm thinking
2: hot wings. Yeah, I think yard <laughs> yeah. I, I ate there before the uh, Agnostic Front and uh, dropkick show just uh, last month or whatever. That, that was my first time going to that place, but I, I was blown away to see you know a place like that had you know garden and vegan options, and it was yeah. pretty cool.
1: They have, and they've had it for a while too. It isn't anything new. They've had it for at least five, six years, maybe longer than that.
2: Yeah. Have they really? That's oh yeah, cool. yeah, yeah.
1: As long as the the win and encore have had similar options they've had those options as well quite a quite a few restaurants in vegas now actually have a vegan menu or more than one option so it's definitely coming along quite nicely
2: yeah vegas has some great some really really good options atlanta's good too but but i was really last last year when we were out there in vegas last time we went out i was really blown away at how many more you know since the last
1: time i had been there which is oh, yeah. years prior how much more well, they had 10, 10 years ago forget it there wasn't anything so it's it's been a slow ascension, and it's now now it's in somewhat of a rapid phase. There's a there's a really good place called Veggie Way off of Jones. I mean, it's fast food, and so it's not the healthiest stuff in the world. But when when you have an inclination for that kind of food, it's a pretty good option. And what's funny is the guy who opened that restaurant, he opened it because he's a big fan of In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> so he he thought he could make this basically a, a vegan version of In-N-Out Burger, and it has a drive-through and all that. It's it's doing pretty well. Yeah, I, we actually, yeah, we we yeah, had that. Yeah, huh? I remember, Yeah, the last yeah one we had out it delivered to our hotel it was, room. It's it like, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, no, it's actually really good, and it's right next to a dispensary, which is very convenient. So you go there, <laughs> get some good food, go get a vape, <laughs> or you go there, get some edibles first, let the munchies kick in, <laughs> go to Yeah, so yeah do it in reverse. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: that, that's that's how it should be, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So you see, you see more and more of that kind of stuff happening now. And it's not it, a lot of times it's not it's actually a good business decision. It's not someone who's necessarily has a passion for bringing vegan food, although that's an important component of it. But it's actually a lot of people look at it as a good business move because it's going to make money. And one thing about these kind of restaurants is people will support it. People will come from all over town. Yeah. So it's, it's rare you see those kind of places go out of business.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it's. There was a place. Have you ever eaten at Violets?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's on way on the other side of town. Been there once, but that yeah. place is really good too.
2: Really good. Yeah, I was blown away, man. Yeah, it it was fun. We we just kind of picked our whole week and just you know picked all the vegan restaurants we wanted to hit and then just kind of kind of you know planned our our week around it. But it was uh, it was cool to get to try all those new places and stuff. But yeah, you guys got some good stuff out there.
1: Yeah, it's come along. It's come along quite a bit. And it's not just here, it's, I mean, Los Angeles has always been progressive, but now it's out of yeah. control in Los Angeles. You drive down the Sunset Strip, I mean, there's a vegan restaurant every block.
2: Well, I mean, it just shows, I mean, you know, it's it's demand, right? You know, which is cool because uh, it just shows that there's more and more people. And even outside the vegan community, you know, you're seeing a lot a lot more people interested in in eating more plant-based options or trying different things right. like that or trying to get more, more uh, plant-based, you know, less meat in their diet, which is really cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lady I saw a lecture, I wrote her name down, I don't have it in front of me, but she is one of the scientists who's at the forefront of this in vitro meat production where they take animal cells and they actually make meat from that. They can actually grow it in a lab. And this is this has been going on for they haven't perfected it yet, but it's getting fairly close to it. And people look at this and they go, oh, that's Franken food and all that. I go, yeah, right. Wait until that stuff <laughs> proliferates the market and it's cheaper than factory farm meat. All those people are all of a sudden are going to have their reservations are going to go down the wayside like, oh, yeah, let's give it a shot. It's great for the environment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same people eating conventional, they're eating
0: out at conventional restaurants and they talk about Franken food though.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> that's, 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 that's
1: where I'm going. It's a big joke. <laughs> Like, what do you think it is right now? It's like some natural organic production, you know, that gets this to your plate. Yeah, exactly. But that that science is there, and that science is developing really fast. So we'll probably start seeing these options start popping up pretty soon. I've seen some
2: headlines. I haven't really been following it too closely, but I see the headlines, yeah.
0: You no, know, when it started, when it started making the local news, that's when you know that it's pretty much, it's almost here now. So they were actually yeah, talking right. about it like on our local news channels. I'm like, yep. And get ready for it now, folks. <laughs> when it's, when it's made that far. Cause local news is always the last to know. <laughs> on any, on any <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's
1: <laughs> so, right.
0: But they always like to report it like they're, they're breaking news to you. It's like, oh, just in meat grown in the lab. Find out if it's for you. Tonight it's six o'clock. <laughs> like, come on, man.
1: So. But it's funny to hear the opposition to it. Who, who they're like, oh, this is not God made. It's not natural. It's like, what's natural? What's na- is factory farming natural? Right. Well, these, these arguments about what's natural are laughable. And well, and it gets to be you know you see it a lot with the vegan community too. Like
2: you know when these uh, you know like the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger and these things oh, come dude, out. Oh, dude, I hear it all. The yeah, time, the burger meat, oh, it crazy.
0: Crazy. Why do you still want to taste meat? Yeah, Why do you still want to taste just or, or the texture yeah. of meat? I'm like. Um, Can you missed the talk point. Yeah,
1: like me, right, yeah, up. totally missing the point. And th- those are people who usually have only been doing plant based for about a year or two, and then they're probably going to well, be yeah. eating meat you know by what? the time. By the time the argument has been has gone on for a few months, they've already gone back to eating
2: meat. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I actually had a, like one of our one of our employees who's probably been vegan for all of as long as my dog's fart has like made his living room smell bad in the last. Five minutes, <laughs> so you know, and he's just and he's always just berating everyone. Are like, oh, you gonna eat that? Are oh, you eating death? You eating murder? You are doing this? I'm like, dude. I said, you know what? I said, you are by far the worst vegan ever. People like you suck as vegan. And and he looked at me, and it's just like he he couldn't say anything. He's like, what? What do you mean? I'm not. I don't suck as a vegan. I said you do. I said because you know why? You treat it like a religion. I said. I said you know what? Honestly, you are the Jehovah Witnesses. No offense to those Jehovah Witnesses listening, but let's just just let's just admit it. You come knocking our door on a Saturday, we're probably not gonna open the door for you. So that being said. I told him I said you are like the Jehovah's Witness of freaking vegans, man. It's like as soon as you come walking up, people want to go find something else to do and look busy yep. because they don't want to hear from you. I said they're not going to learn from you. I said you know the best way you can help anyone learn about a plant-based diet is actually being the best example. Of so exactly. said, if you look like you're thri- if you look like you're thriving, if you look like you're yep. strong, yep. if you look like you're healthy and you're not looking weak, if you're not bitching, complaining, and, and being such a freaking nag, then maybe they'd be like, hey, man. Um, so me and my girl or my boyfriend, whatever, we we're thinking about it, like, you know, add more vegan menu, you know, options to our meals. You know, can you help out? You got any suggestions? That's usually how it works. I said, that's, that's the easiest thing. I said, look, man, people don't give a damn about what you say. People only pay attention to what you do. And right now, right now, what you're doing gets on their damn nerves. So they're not even worrying about it. In fact, you're going to make them probably go to a freaking churrascaria today just because you are being such a bitch about it. It makes them probably well, go to a meat buffet. Well, and and you opposition. said it. You said
2: it. Be, be an example. You know, don't – you don't need to – if you're a good example for if you're healthy, if you're strong, if you're in good shape, you know, if you've always got a lot of energy, you know, I, people will ask you about it because I've only been vegan now for, for right about six years and, you know, vegetarian a couple years prior to that, but yeah. I don't have to say a word about it. You know, people ask me – I've actually had some of my clients either go vegan or Adopt a mostly plant-based diet. I'm, I'm talking, you know, some yep. of my fighters and, and people like that. You know, people who jump from like keto diets because they're all the rage and right. and MMA and right. jujitsu and stuff right now. And I, I've had a lot of people come up to me. They're like, "Damn, I never thought somebody could be could be lean, strong, you know, muscular." And and that's all you got to do is just like you said, just just be a be a good example. Yep. And then when they ask you about it, just give them the information, man. I mean, they get excited. We're about already. It
0: we're already defying all the myths, whatever's like, oh, you know, they're, these huh? little soy boys, they're weak. I'm like, dudes, I, look, I have no problem with soy, you know, and I'm, huh? I know I live way more than you do, dude. <laughs> you know, so, so what are you trying to say? You know, even when I see that kind of stuff, but again, when they, they, they know not to even come with stuff like that to either one of us. The, the best argument they have when they see us is like, well, you guys are different. <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah. like oh. trust me, I've heard that well, all that's my how life. It
2: always was. that's how it always was with Mike, you know, back in the day when, when yeah, uh, yep. you know, Mike exactly. was like the only only person in the strength community that was really known for, for being, you always had the endurance people, you know, you always knew about the, the endurance racers and stuff like that, but Mike was one right. of the only... You know, at least I wouldn't say the only one, but at least in our circles, you know, in the kettlebell community and the strength in community, the and he was the outlier. You know, I mean, oh well, it right. worked for him, or he's just that one. Except, well, see, he's the only one fucking doing
1: it. Nobody's done
2: it yet. You know, I mean, and and now that more people are doing it, it's just even more proof that it's not Mike really? was some genetic outlier.
1: No, it reminds me of it reminds me of people that are racist until they meet someone that they're actually racist well, against and they like that person and they don't know what well, they're like doing. I,
0: now. They're, they're, well that's why I said well, that's why when they tell me I'm different, I was like, dude, I've heard that in every arena of my life. Like, well, you're different. You're not like the other ones. Whoa, what does that mean? Well you you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Why don't? So I'm asking you to define yourself. <laughs> Just saying.
1: I had this friend who was a black guy. Right? He was a doorman in New York City during, I think it was like the 60s, 70s. And a lot of people who were racist would meet him, and they would like him, right? This guy had a real go, outgoing personality. And then they would try to make him something that he wasn't. They're like, well, you're not actually black, right? Aren't you Native American? or you know, you're, you're from Peru? You know, <laughs> Because it went, it went against what they felt were their their hardened beliefs, like, this is something I believe. I don't like these people. And then, have you ever met yeah. any of those people? Nope. And then you meet some, you're like, wait a minute, I like these people. But he's not one of those about- people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're like, well, I like you, but I don't like the rest. It was, it, was, it was that kind of dialogue. Because I would meet people who would be adamantly against vegans. Like, there's no way that works. Anyone who does it is a fucking idiot. And then they would meet me, and they're like, okay, he makes it work. I like him. He's a cool guy. He's not coming at me like a dickhead. And then, it was but, but they, they wouldn't know what to do with that situation. They didn't want to change their narrative because they were known for that narrative. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, so they, they couldn't just go down the road without changing something. So in their mind, they would just say, well, the easiest solution would be, oh, you're just you're just an exception. You, you wouldn't make anything work. <laughs> I always thought it was laughable. Genetically right. gifted, definitely. Is not, I'm genetically gifted in terms of I'm, I'm healthy and I don't have any issues, but I'm definitely not genetically gifted in terms of any kind of athletic prowess. Yeah.
2: But I mean, that, that's also kind of a slap in the face to the hard work that you put into, to your training, your nutrition, educating yourself. I mean, because you, right, you know, right. you, you know your shit. You spent a lot of time learning. You spent a lot of time, you know, experimenting and, and, and getting that way and to, to have somebody, you know, who, who was it? it Wasn't a polyquin on your show that, uh, that said, uh, yeah, it only took me, what, 30 years to become an overnight
1: success or something like that? You know,
2: <laughs> it, it's almost the same thing, man. I mean, it's like you've been, you've been at this for what? I mean, how long have you been vegan now? Like 30 years, over 30 years? years. I mean,
1: yeah, 25 years since I was 20. Okay. A vegetarian since I was 15, but vegan yeah, since I was so, 20.
2: Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this shit a long time, man. It's not like you yeah, just did this shit overnight, you know. And it almost takes away from from the the amount of work that you put in educating yourself and and you know doing it all on your
1: own. So. I mean, and also if, people, if people are going to use that argument, you can flip it and say, well, obviously, you're genetically gifted, too. It's not because of this ketogenic diet you're on. You're just genetically gifted. So you're, you're going to make any diet work. So you can just flip that right back on people. Yeah, but exactly. You know the type, man.
2: <laughs> well, it's like the, the argument, you know, that, that came up after, the, after Rogan had Kip and Keegan, you know, from Cowspiracy on his show when uh, oh, they yeah, brought yeah, up yeah. Matt Danzig. And he was like, right. "Yeah, but Max never won a championship." It's like, well, you know, neither have a lot of the have meat eaters yeah. that he be.
1: You know, <laughs> yeah. So Matt Brown, Matt diet. Brown is never, Matt Brown's never won a championship. He's a great fighter. <laughs> so it must be maybe, because maybe, meat-heavy
2: exactly. diet, right?
1: No, no one looks at Matt Brown's diet and be like, "Oh, that's the limiting factor." No. He's on. That's, we exactly. got to improve his diet, then he'll be a champion.
2: Or it's like the the, the protein argument. Oh, of course you're vegan. You use protein powder. It's like, dude, the majority of the protein powders on the shelf at GNC are fucking whey and casein. And, you know, it's not vegans buying that shit.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Right. And a lot of the plant-based ones are being used by people who are not vegan because they have have these allergic reactions. They have explosive diarrhea every time they try whey protein. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the funniest when someone who goes, nah, this vegan diet doesn't work," and then you see them with the big tub of pea protein. <laughs> like, well, I exactly. like this; because it doesn't upset yeah. my stomach. How's that I'm vegan like, working well, for you, buddy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that I mean, it's it's in, in, the, in those those arguments and that misinformation and stuff. It, it's like I, I guess that's what you know. I, I I know Mike. You know, you saw that article that I wrote a while back. Like, you oh, know, oh yeah, anything, yeah that's we're a great on idea. vegan. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's uh, great, man. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's like, I it, just yeah. want
2: to take like. I just sat down and I was like, okay, I'm just going to start rolling with some things, you know, that that kind of changed my my opinion, kind of changed my attitude, you know, just different myths and stuff like that. So I, I almost just wanted to do that just from a a personal experiential standpoint. So it, it wasn't, so, hey, this is what I experienced. So at least to get people thinking, you know, without me saying like, hey, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that. Hey, these are things that, because I, I get asked all the time, you know, what 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 happened to your energy what happened to your strength you know how do you you know do you get enough protein you know things like that so i was just like fuck it man i'm just going to sit down and roll with some of these and see what i can come up with so i just wanted Mm -hmm. to make it this kind of quick bullet point thing and shit out of everything i've written you know that that's been probably the the most viewed viewed article on my (laughs) blog or whatever it's kind of crazy but it just shows that you know people wouldn't be looking at it if there wasn't
1: some interest there you know yeah yeah no it was really well written too you made a lot of good points in there because these, these annoying vegans that people are always talking about, and I know they're out there, but I don't know any of them personally. And most of the people I know are guys like you, two and other people I know who are very compassionate people that are always doing fundraisers, not just for animals, but for people as well. They're, and they're out there doing interesting things. So it's the exact antithesis. So people like to overly fixate on this stereotype of the annoying one, which <laughs> is an archetype that exists. But yeah. it's, I don't th- I don't think it even represents the majority.
2: I don't think it does. But the, the, that's what gets the you know it. it I, I guess it's like you know it, it's like that in a lot of things. But that's what gets all the you know because it's the one idiot that draws all the attention. You know because everybody wants to see the the it's like almost people want to see the train wreck. They want to see the bad and things. You know, so of course it's the idiots that are going to get okay. They're they're going to yeah, become the. Right the vocal, you know, the, the, vocal majority for the movement when most of the people are, are nothing like that. And I mean, when you get these holier than thou vegans, I mean, it's like, you know, Rich Roll said on his podcast one time, which I really liked, he's like, look, man, you know, we can go no, no matter how vegan you are, you know, we can find some point in your life where you're not vegan, dude. And at the very least, right, if you right. pay your taxes, you're supporting factory farms. So just chill right. out a little bit, you know, it's yeah. like you stop, stop with the, you know, the vegan police bullshit.
0: Yeah, exactly. Somebody well, actually brought up it, right, well, they it, well, one of my friends brought up the point about, you know, of course, those holy and thou vegans always talk about, you know, this and all this is being fair trade. It's like, okay, so, you know, you want to talk about compassion. You know, how fair trade, how compassion, how fair trade was that fruit that you got today from, you know, yeah. Whole Foods or whatever else? Have you really traced where that fruit came from? If you're all about compassion of all living, of all living beings, you know, that also goes to the workers who are also picking those plants that you're eating all the time. You know, they they don't think about that. Or the same ones who go out and berate a human being, you know, for, you know, still making a choice to eat meat and haven't really been educated enough or whatever. And, you know, you really just start like, oh, my God, you should what if he, you should die just like the animal did. And I'm like, that's just not the way to do it. And I thought you are supposed to be all about and you look in their bio, and they're all about compassion, human rights and all this. I'm like, really, <laughs> you know, how does that how's that working out for you right there? You know, hypocrite much. So I'm just like, so, yeah, you have those people like that, man, who just really make it, you know, it, it, like I said, people focus on the negative. It's really easy. So It's easy to find people like that. First of all, because people like that won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> so it's really easy for people yeah. to focus on them because yeah. these people are screaming for the attention. And like, you know, like we said earlier, they've only probably been eating plant based for like five minutes. So they're like a new kid with their new toy or, you know, somebody with their new outfit. They want everyone to see it. And if you're not giving them yeah. attention, then how dare you? <laughs> you know, at that point. My thing is just live your life, man. And trust me, people are always watching. You don't have to ask for attention. No. You don't have to. <laughs> people are nosy by nature. People don't have shit else to do but to see what other people are doing. That's why so many people are, you know, are depressed because they're constantly comparing themselves to someone else or trying to see if what they're doing is correct according to what this other person's doing. So don't worry. People are watching
1: you no matter what. You don't have to sit there
0: and scream for attention. You don't have to. Uh, no doubt. At all.
1: Well, that's why that's why Johan Hari said. We had him on the show last time. He has this really yep. good book on depression, but he's working on a new book. That's why I saw his last Twitter post. He goes working on a new working on a new book, folks. See you all in six months. <laughs> you know, it's a good way of saying, I'm not going to be on social media at all for the next six months. Cause I got shit to do. And it, 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 that actually inspired me when I saw that. I mean, I didn't take off completely from it, but I go, you know what? I'm going to spend a lot less time fucking around on this. Because you can try to convince yourself that you're doing it for your business and blah, 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 blah. And and for the most part, I don't really waste time on social media. But I, I have been guilty of wasting time, just like a lot of us. Until recently, once I saw that post, I go, you know what? He's making a good point, man. I got better shit to do than waste time on here. So I'm going to get on these mediums to do what I need to do. But then I'm off and that's get it. off, I'm man. Off like a, yeah,
0: I'm out of here. It's just like, and again, because like I was explaining to my, you know, my niece and um, one of her friends that came in from out of town, she's like, Oh, you know, some, some, some on Facebook. I said, I, I probably didn't see it because I'm re- only reason why I haven't shut down my personal account is because I can't, because I have, have business pages. And I said, and they trap yeah. you like that. So you can't, you have to still have a personal account. I, I want to delete the shit altogether. You know, and just leave, if I could just leave the business pages without having a personal account, I'd be great. You know, so but I said, but honestly, I'm pretty sure I don't, do really sure. I don't
1: right. have. I'm pretty sure I don't have a. I only have a business page. I don't have a personal account. So maybe, maybe I still yeah. do and I just don't know. Yeah,
0: you still do. I, yeah, you just don't use it. Yeah. Cause uh, they'll, they'll be like, Oh, you'll lose every, you know, everything will be gone. But either way it goes, it doesn't matter. Cause I have the discipline to just go in, go to the business page, be off if right, there's something right. posted on the business page. But almost everything's automatic now. Even like things going to the podcast page comes automatically when we upload a new episode. I don't have to go there and put it there physically on that fan page. It does it automatically. Right. But, you know, what I was trying to explain to them is just like, um, yeah, I don't see it because I don't really go on Facebook. She goes, why? And I said, well, first of all, everybody <laughs> there is fucking angry as hell. I said, I said, I said, ask yourself, would you, if you saw a mob of people, if you saw a mob of at least two, three <laughs> billion people arguing and screaming at each other, what in your, what would make you want to go walk over there and, and put yourself in the middle of all that? And they, and these, I'm talking to two 14 year olds, and they just looked like, whoa. I said, exactly. I said, so think about that. I said, that's basically what you're doing every time you get on something like so, on Facebook or some other form of social media where everybody's pissed off. I said, you know, I, I like Tumblr for the fact that I've actually, people actually like, share things a little bit over there. There's a little bit more contained in Tumblr. Now, you gotta watch out for all the porn that might pop up every now and then, but hey, that's the same <laughs> thing watching TV. You're flipping channels. It's like, it's like watching TV back in the 80s. You know, you're sitting there, you're like, okay, I'm gonna watch this. Whoa, what is that? <laughs> you know, so, you know, you can change the channel or you don't. But, you know, that's the only thing about it, so you gotta be discerning about that, but, or turn on the filters. But other than that, you really don't see a bunch of people. If they do actually, like, have discussions, it's not just flaming, flaming Trust, there's gonna be a few that's still gonna try to go out there, but, a lot of times, I guess it's just the culture over there. They nip it in the bud really quickly, you know. But whereas with Twitter and Facebook, it's like they feed off of that. I'm just like, ah. Uh. So, you know, just go in, do your post, well, it, and get it's out. it's hard
2: because, yeah, it's hard because you, you, there's so much good information that you can get, you know, from a place like, like Facebook or, or Twitter. You know, you got the people you follow, put out good things and stuff like yeah, that. But it's right. so easy to go down that rabbit hole, man, when you start seeing the drama. Oh, yeah. Even not getting involved, you know, you just want to sit there and, like, you, you, you want to be judgmental of the idiots, man. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's,
0: like, it's, it's kind of like a train wreck. You're like, oh, man, where is this going? Then you have yep. the kids like, what the hell am I doing? And then like, and then okay, three hours later, man, on. it's like one
2: in the morning. Well, there goes that whole thing about getting nine hours of sleep tonight. I guess I'll start <laughs> tomorrow. You
0: know? yeah. But even what you said about the information, too, you know, it's also, you know, like you said, there's a place to get good information. Even that can become a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. It's like, sure. man, that was a really good argument. Here's a link to this because almost all yeah. these things are attacked. I'm going to keep you there. And you. next thing you know, you've been sitting there for like five, six hours where you've gone from articles to YouTube, especially YouTube will get you. And, you know, well, let me just watch. It was just 10 minutes. Let me watch this. Then there's another one that's 15. Then there's another one that's like 40. Next thing you know, you watch the whole lecture, a two-hour lecture, but it's yep. so damn good. That's the problem, like, watching someone like Jordan Peterson. It's like he's so intriguing when he talks. It's like, next thing you know, it's like, fuck. It's like, I'm pretty much taking this dude's class and didn't pay any tuition. And then you kind of like, I wish it had been like this when I went to college, man. I could just get this yeah. information. <laughs> And not have to worry well, about yeah. you know hitting my pocketbook. <laughs>
2: I mean, if you want to learn and, and you've got a genuine curiosity, I mean, there's so much good stuff out there, but it's, it's yeah, yeah. it can be a massive time suck. So, and you know, you just got to be disciplined with okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna allocate you know this much time to to you know research and stuff like that. And, I mean, I think exactly. you know a lot of us do that for inspiration or to to you know just just to to see what else is out there. I mean, you don't want to just get stuck you know reading the same things over and over. It's always cool to oh, find yeah. you know somebody who's sharing something or whatever, but it can be a massive massive time suck. So,
1: yeah, I can. And it's, uh, you're better off getting that information not through social media. You just come across it a different way. Either you're subscribed to certain certain websites that send out information once a week or something yeah. like
0: it's that. RSS yeah. yeah, there's
1: always better ways because once you get yeah. once you go down that, that Twitter rabbit hole, you're going to be there for a while.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. With that. Especially
2: when Joe Rogan's flaming vegans, man. Those, those get pretty entertaining.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny. It's like as soon as I even see him start talking about that. It, actually, I'm not even interested because, A, you know, first of all, you're not you're not going to convince someone like that. Not after all. Nah. You know, he's had experts and he still, you know, but he always he says these things once those experts are gone. That already says yeah. a lot to me. right, right. There. That shows me I'm not even you, you can even ask them at that time with the same attitude you're having now amongst your friends, amongst your, you know, buddies who do the same things that you do. Well, I mean, Nick, you know, so, Nick so, Delgado so, gets that so, all the time, that. too.
1: Nick yeah. Delgado gets that when when Nick was on the show, I even brought that up. I said,
0: "Yeah, about well, Dave Asprey." Whenever, yeah whenever,
1: yeah. yeah, whenever you're on Ben Greenfield's show, he makes a point of avoiding that topic altogether because right in front of him is a guy who's thriving on it. And same thing with Dave Asprey. And then when he's not on the show, then they'll bring it up and say, "Oh, that doesn't work," and he's an exception, et cetera. But you're not saying it when he's right in front of you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, so that, right there says,
0: that, that says a lot to me right there. And so I'm already not interested because. You know, I, I think, you know, that's a, that's kind of a bitch move right there, man. Or, you know, you're always pandering. Even with just some of the political stuff I see people doing, you know, like it's just some, like even like with Ben Shapiro is trying to go all out to find ways of dissing Black Panther without being racist. You know, when it first came out, I was like, I was like, come on, man, you're really you're really reaching and you're really pandering to your audience right now. Trust me, they're your audience. In fact, look, if this is the case, don't even talk about the movie if you feel like, okay, I don't want to say something that'll piss my audience off about it. Look, man, just go enjoy the movie and don't even fucking talk about it. (laughs) <laughs> and just go on with it. But then don't say things that you can't even really back up. It's just very like, well, have you been to Africa? Wakanda's not real. And blah, 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 I'm just like, okay, <laughs> we get it. Yeah, it's a comic book movie. I said, I, don't, I didn't see the same attitude when Iron Man came out. <laughs> you know, just right. like, you, right. weren't, you weren't trying to prove to all the fanboys on that or all the Star Wars and Star Trek fans. You weren't trying to prove to them, like, look, man, Indoor's not real. You know, it's, not, it's really hot. There's no such place as hot. You know, if you really want to enjoy the cold, then you need to go to Siberia. You know, it's just so <laughs> Amazing to me that he's like, So, man, I'm just like, come on, man. Don't pander to your audience. Be who you are. Be authentic, man. Just like, hey. And just say, like, look, man. Look, I, I haven't tried the diet or whatever else. And I, I, I truly, from personal experience, I don't know. Or from personal experience, I, I, it didn't work for me. I didn't make it work for me. I, I was off to something else. Or I started missing whatever the hell I was eating before that. And leave it at that. Well, don't get would, there and say things like a that fat.
2: Approach. Yeah, if he would just take that approach, like I, I just hate the way you know he, Joe's become like the be-all end-all as far as like training and nutrition information. You know, the people that love and I, I, I love his show. I mean, you know, he's often has great interview, often has great guests and stuff on there, but he becomes yeah. like this be-all end-all expert on training and nutrition and it's like dude he's a stand-up comic and he's he's a voice of the UFC man it's like stick to that shit don't don't speak authoritatively speak experientially like hey this is how I eat this is what I see but then get some experts on there you know get, get away from the flame wars and stuff like that and get like a real you know like a, a Delgado or, or a, you know Dr. Michael Greger get somebody legit you know to come on and, and then, ask, and your ask your questions, questions
0: then yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about celebrities. Like Anytime there's a, a tragedy or whatever, celebrities are like, celebrity somebody, we need more gun control. i say, okay, you first. Get rid of your armed security. So my lead by example. Yes. We're talking, let me see you lead by... Politicians, do the same. Get rid of your security. You you first. When you get rid of yours, I'll get rid of mine. Then we can even the playing field. Other than that, I don't care what a celebrity felt about this or they're all this and that. I, I could care less about them.
1: they well, You, they're know, you know what's interesting about what's interesting about gun control is we just had an example recently of what to do and what works right in Maryland, where
0: Mitch it's no one talks about
1: shooting. it. Yeah, exactly. That's where yeah. I'm going is that here was a guy, a security guard, former veteran on site, took this kid out real fast, right? No, one's bringing that up. So here's, here's what they should have done in Florida. And I'm not an expert by any means on this, but it just seems obvious to me. Here's what they should have done in Florida after the shooting one, get metal detectors. All right. That should have been put in when the school was closed for a week. Don't open it up until you have those metal detectors in. Number two, have an armed security guy, just like that veteran in Maryland. There you go.
0: Well, you know what? You know what? It's so funny. All you're doing is creating a black market. Well, you know what? It's funny you said black market. I'll get to that in a second.
1: I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> so I you. <laughs> well, it's funny it's,
0: because it's a market right for black people.
1: <laughs> it's not just black <laughs> people. <laughs> <the> black <market. laughs> the kids, it's not like a, a farmer. market?
0: <laughs> they posted yesterday they you know when the kids get back to that school in florida next week because they're in spring break this week i think but when they come back they're all they had they were donated the school was donated uh, clear backpacks and so now all the kids are pissed off like oh yeah clear backpacks you know that's infringing on my rights you know why should i have to have this backpack and i have my own i'm like oh funny how you know that works huh yeah, i said exactly. but you wanted more security and then they, i said but guess what This is what goes down everywhere else since nine eleven. You ever go to a sporting event, you gotta have a clear purse and a clear backpack. So much so get over that. So And 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 you have metal
1: detectors there too. But don't go to a now here's my point.
0: Here's my point. The, the kids were saying, like, you know, we wanted some real action. We didn't want to feel like we were in a prison. I'm like, oh, so what you didn't want to do is feel like you were at a school in an urban environment. You didn't want to feel like at a predominantly black or Latino school is what you're saying. Because guess what? You know what? There's not mass shootings there. They have metal detectors. They have clear backpacks. They even have them all the way in elementary school. So now it's not now it's not cool when you have to do what they do. But guess what? Obviously, it's working because I have not seen any mass murders in any predominantly black and Latino schools. So, hey, don't don't feel bad. Look, you love the culture, you get all the culture. (laughs) Like Paul Mooney says, everybody likes to be black till it's time to be black. (laughs) Enjoy all all of our culture all the way. You like our music, you like all that stuff, you like to say the N-word when you listen to Bodak Yellow and all that, but then again, you're like, why can't I say the word? So, hey, here's the thing, you like to say the word, you like to do all this other stuff, now you get to enjoy all of our culture. You get to have metal detectors, you get to have arm security, you get to have clear backpacks, Hey, man, there you go. Now, if only we get the
1: same level of education, then everybody would be happy.
0: You know, so where's the
1: outrage with that? <laughs> but it's just like what we were talking about with the vegan stuff is the media looks for the worst sound bites they can come yes, up with, man. right? Like you have, you have someone, on on, on right the right far right, you have someone like Rick Santorum saying, oh, these kids, yes. need to, they, need to, they need to go learn CPR. <laughs> He's like, they need to go learn CPR, not waste. President. Like, really? I mean, you wonder
0: why you're not president right now. Like, dude, like, wow, there's someone that actually is probably dumber than this other guy
1: right now. Well, wow, like, really. Dave Mustaine said about Rick Santorum in this one interview. He goes, oh, yeah, Rick Santorum is he's got a real JFK type energy. I think he would be a great president. Ever since I saw Dave Mustaine what? make that comment, I can't listen to Megadeth that? anymore because I think of that. <laughs> <laughs> I go, not that I was a big fan to start with, but I'm even less of a fan now because every time I hear yeah, that this like song, I go, yeah, you know, this was a statement go, this I've this ever heard. I'm like, what? I know exactly. I go, this is a pretty good song, but didn't isn't this the guy who said that Rick Santorum is like the next JFK? Like <laughs> KFC, more like, <laughs> like KFJ I is him. Well, like, <laughs> like,
0: like KFC, dude. It's like, come on.
1: He's like he's the next KKK. I mean JFK.
0: My <laughs> <laughs> look, man. When I when I see hot like like female celebrities, man, like getting it on with the president, I don't think about Rick Santorum being that president. <laughs> this, this dude could not have snagged Marilyn Monroe at all. No, dude, I don't think this dude could snag Marilyn Manson. So what the hell are you even talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
1: But I, but I know but, but but every every time yeah I, I like Joe's show too and I listen fairly often. But every time it, it, the vegan diet comes up, it's always the same rhetoric. It's like, all right, man, we yep. get it. You don't think it works? Fine, we got it. We know what your opinion is on the topic. We don't need to hear it every fucking episode. Or you know, we get it, man.
0: You like to hunt and you like to eat the food that you hunt. We get it. Okay, then that's that's you. That's you, dude. But. Leave it at that, you know. Really, <laughs> otherwise it's like again, stop the pandering, man. Trust me, those fans—you're gonna keep those fanboys no matter what, <laughs> pretty much. Okay, so yeah, they're, they're already—they're you already have them, man. It's
2: yeah, yeah but he just comes across as, as an expert, and, and and that's what drives me nuts because people will take his well, Joe, you know, you even hear people well, well, Joe said on you know his his episode, blah right. blah blah. And and that just you know that that drives me crazy because it almost discourages you know because he is positioned as such an expert you know it just discourages note, though,
0: I can't you from Joe. going out and finding on your point. own. I, I'm sorry, I can't blame Joe on that one. They say like, well, I heard on Joe's show, and you know Joe said this. I can't really be mad at him because uh, again, yeah. with all that, everything we've been talking about for the last ten minutes really comes down to individual responsibility. You know, whether we're talking about yeah. protecting yourself, where we talk about where you get your information from. So that right there is passing the buck. So therefore, if If it's wrong and it doesn't whatever he said doesn't work for that person, they can blame him. And so I'm going to. So I'll I'll flip it on that. So I'll actually say, like, nah, that's not even on Joe when someone says something that stupid. Like, well, Joe said this. I'm like, and really? And of course, you go back to what your mom said. Well, if Joe jumped off a bridge. Would you follow him? (laughs) Yeah. Which is sad. And which is sad. You can't ask that question anymore because some of these idiots would actually do it
2: so well i mean it's not just joe but all celebrities man people people you know that they live and die by what you know the a-listers are doing so i guess that's just part of american culture you know
0: hell even in the vegan world too so you know there's are yeah. like well you know well because, I, you, in, know, in raw, every you know so and so eats raw yeah. she's 50 bananas a day and that's the way you're supposed to do it i'm like yeah okay <laughs> so okay they and but now you kind of realize that that vegan celebrity you know even someone like you know banana girl you realize how many flaws she had that she was hiding because again people show you that side of them that they need you to see you know now you know she's gone with the implants and done all these different things and had these insecurities and eating disorders and all this other stuff i'm like yeah i'm the the eating disorder thing kind of you know that flag kind of went up when the whole eating 30 bananas a day you know you know was like anytime someone's
1: known as Anytime someone's known as Banana Girl, is that really where you want to go for your nutrition so information? You either, <laughs> somebody,
0: either, either, either they have an eating disorder or they're a porn star. Well, you know, how, where, where are you going to go with this? Does that sound
1: like a credible source? It's like, shit, Banana Girl on YouTube said it's like, yeah, that sounds like a great so person. So to my, you know to.
0: what? Come so 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 on, everything I said on the you said Banana that, Girl YouTube. You lost me right there, buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, if that's, I mean, that's for them, on them. But, you know, but don't, it's but, not but the that, law. That's it's why not, I
1: think it's, it's good to take long stretches away from all this virtual living bullshit, virtual reality yeah. crap, because it's, it's just too much, man. And you miss out on real world experiences. If you go talk to someone and have an interesting conversation at the coffee shop, that's going to be way more impactful than having a Twitter exchange. Or a direct right. message exchange on Facebook, you're not going to remember that years later. You may. I've had interesting conversations with people I met one time and never met them again that I still remember Thank to this you. day because sure. they were interesting exactly. conversations. I remember this one older guy was fishing in Potomac River in before I went out to college, and he and I were just chit chatting about stuff, and he gave me some really good advice back. And this is like 25 years ago, and I still remember that exchange. How many exchanges do you remember on Twitter or Facebook? It's like, oh yeah. man, I remember five how many years times ago. Sometimes like
0: the ones slid into your DMs that you actually remember that didn't actually like cost you something, like a relationship or something. You know, just like how many <laughs> of those do you actually remember? <laughs> Probably none. Because you know why? Right after that, after you read that one, another one came in, or another, something else popped up on your timeline. There's so many distractions going on, so it makes it very hard for those moments to be memorable because here comes another moment, and here's another moment, and here's another moment. You know, it's just like.
1: Nothing good comes out of those exchanges. It's like, yeah, I was talking to Ann about deadlifting, and then all of a sudden we were talking about what kind of underwear she wears, you know? It's like. like, Even if it starts good, it's going to degrade at some point because people are just fucked up when it comes to Internet conversations. The kind of things people say to each other they would never say in the real world. Oh, no. All (laughs) All of a sudden, people are sending dick pics. You know I mean? It just degrades real fast. Like, oh, yeah, nice to meet Um, you all. Hold on a second. Let me send you a pic of something I think you may enjoy. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's great.
2: (laughs) You may find this interesting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> Claudia Cadela, oh, well, right? <laughs> yeah. Claudia, Claudia, that one UFC fighter Cadela, I think that's how you pronounce the last name oh, I'm Claudia sure Kedela, I'm butchering yeah. 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 Anyway, she said that she stopped looking at her private messages on Twitter, Instagram, etc because all it was was just dick pics one after the other <laughs> you know? That just uh, shows don't you don't how fucked like up the... to... it's, it, <laughs> When you, you, see, memo, when you hear it like that man. When you hear stuff like that, it's just embarrassing. You're you're all, you're embarrassed to be a man for that I'm moment, even though you're not participating. <laughs> that, that, that kind of behavior is just embarrassing, man. It's embarrassing that that, that so, so many guys are doing it, too. It's, it's not just like this exactly. one oh, random thing. Really, like, it was like a on, hundred guys thought that was a good idea. I'm just going to take yeah. a picture of my junk and send it to her.
0: Like, yeah, because I'll be the one that's that, to Who cares? And even she was. Keep that shit to yourself. No one cares,
1: man. So, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's leaflet. scrolling. I'm, I'm sure she's scrolling through all these dick pics and it's like, oh wow, that one looks great. Let me let me email she this exactly guy back.
0: Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. Keep your junk to yourself. <laughs> they call it junk. For,
1: they call it junk for a reason, man. Okay, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to end up in the junk folder at some point. No <laughs> so, <I mean, laughs> point in sending it; it's going to go right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's just... A, so. I mean, it's we're we're already in this this matrix type world without people realizing it. I, I, it's always funny when someone makes fun of people who do. These these websites where you actually create an avatar and you're interacting as this this right. animated avatar. I think it's called I forget I forget what they're even called. Second Life. All right, that's one of them. Yeah. And people are like, oh man, that stuff's crazy. And then that same person is on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram all day long. They haven't seen <laughs> they haven't seen the sky or sun in months, and they think Second Life is crazy. It's it's already people going down that road. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's it's crazy, man. You think of how many better things there is. Like I don't have time to sleep nine hours a night. Why? Because your watch is going to cut back. It's going to. It's going to cut into. It's going to infringe on your five hours of television watching plus your five hours of YouTube and social media wasting time. <laughs> you know? And then so you're going to bitch just,
2: about bitch about feeling like a zombie the next day. I'm so you're tired,
0: tired, man. I just man, I need, <laughs> I'm so tired. I just. Don't, I can barely. Like, I
1: need my coffee. I need my five hour energy. I'm like good
0: luck <laughs> with that.
1: You just think about things you cut out and what you replace them with, how much more beneficial that can be. Let's say you take your sleep from five, six hours to nine hours a night, and then you increase your workout intensity because you have so much more recovery time now. Your growth hormones better. Your testosterone better. You're feeling better. So now your workouts go from three to six a week, and you're thriving because you're sleeping so well, and your nutrition I'm improves. Sure your so overall you productivity has no got to increase.
2: I mean, think yeah, about it. If you, if you get good sleep, your, your work's going to be better. You're not going to be in a brain fog. You're going to be more efficient. You're going to get work done in less time. I mean, you're, you're going to yeah, be better across cravings, the
1: board. The sugar cravings go down. It's just one beneficial thing after another. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's the other downside of staying up so late. It's like, well, not only while you're watching all this stuff or, you know, or wasting time on social media, you get hungry. you know, or you think you are. And you start eating or you start drinking, and then next, you know, you've taken in all these calories, and then finally when you go to sleep, well, the sleep is not optimal because now your stomach's got to sit there and work overtime to digest whatever the hell you just consumed because I'm pretty sure if you've eaten that, you didn't exactly mentally tell yourself, now i got to wait at least two hours so I can at least break down that food I just ate, those chips and whatever else, before I go to sleep. No, it's like by that time the MSG and whatever else was on that food, has already kicked in, and you have no choice but to go to sleep. But it's not going to be optimal because you're going to be tossing turn and turning, probably getting up in the middle of the night to go use the restroom. And so what was the whole point of that in the first place, even going to sleep? So, yeah, man, just. just
1: well, I think, I think people have tell to. a lot of people tell a lot of lies to themselves. The, the social media one is like, oh, I have to have a presence on there for my business. It's, it really doesn't add up to much. <laughs> you know? well, it, can utilized, an it can be utilized and it can be utilized well. Say
0: that. If you're if you're good about business, you know, you'll look at the numbers. So you'll look at your sales, whatever your business is, look at your sales, how much of that came from social media. And then look over 12 months, how much did it increase or decrease coming from social media itself? You know, so and you start looking at the lifetime of customers that you have. Where did you get those
1: customers? Yeah. And then it when he like came back. Do without doing all that, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to decrease <laughs> one bit. And then the inter- <laughs> my attitude is let other people do that for me. Like, for example, I have people that are my affiliates and customers for my products, and they're they're always lighting up Twitter, and then their people are asking them questions. I don't even need to jump in. I was like, you know what? That, that whole thing is going to take care of it all on its own. I don't, I don't need right. to oversee any of that.
2: Well, and that, Mike, that goes back to just doing good work. You know, you put out really good products because that's where you focus your – that's where you focus your time. That's where you focus your, your energy, your, your education, your experience. You put out really good products, so the products are going to speak for themselves because people are going to use them. They're going to love them. It's the same, you know, with, with you know, being a, a trainer or a strength coach, whatever. If you actually get the fuck off the Internet and get in the gym and start getting people results, those people are going to start singing your praises. You know, you don't have to get online and brag about yourself because other people are talking about the great experience that they're having with you. You know what I'm saying? And and, and that's why even even like the interaction that I do on social media, I I very rarely post about myself because my my accomplishments mean dick. You know, I try to post about my athletes and my clients that are experiencing really good results because that's what gives the work that I do validity. It's got nothing to do with – with me it's what can i do for those people that come to me
1: oh, you know yeah, that, that's 100%. why
2: I, I see these idiot these trainers man you, you look on instagram and all they're doing is posting selfies and they're trying to post motivational quotes and and this that and the other it's like the the, the best lesson i ever learned you know i've been doing this for almost for, for 20 years now the best lesson i ever learned was nobody gives a fuck about you all they care about is what you can do for them you know what kind yeah. of value you can provide for Ooh. them and that's what these these new trainers don't understand. They think they got to come out and be, become Insta-famous. now. Get in the gym and fucking work. I, I worked for over 10 years before I even wrote my first blog, my first article, anything. You know, if you go give yourself ten, a fucking decade of full-time working with people and learning and failing, you'll have plenty of fucking content to write about. You won't have to make up bullshit motivational quotes and post pictures of your ass on Instagram all day to get, get
1: people to pay attention to you. Yeah. No, that's really good advice. A lot of people hear that. They go, 10 years. <laughs> I got to put in 10 years of actual work. I got into this business. I don't have to work. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Make up some ebooks on stuff I've never done and sell those. Have a, have a following on YouTube, but people pay me for consulting, even though you've never trained anyone a lot of that is it's just it's just have putting a on mind. the illusion. like wait a minute well, you've been in this all of five minutes and you're trying to put
0: together a ten <laughs> twenty thousand dollar mastermind of five five unique individuals so much as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity i'm pretty sure it is because once you get that money you're going to disappear and no one's ever going to see <laughs> you you're not going
2: to have the mastermind too <laughs> well it's it's true man i mean and it's like you know it's it's the joke is it's like all you got to do to be a trainer nowadays is have an instagram account and Gmail. Because you you look at all these idiots, right. you know, fitness people on Instagram. They, they don't have a website. They don't, you know, it's, it's right, you at right. big guns, yeah, big more seventy two at Gmail. You know, yeah, uh, Gmail, online no. coaching. <laughs> you know, and, and it's stupid, man. And and you look at their you look at their page, and it's nothing but shit about them. No, not you know no clients, no no videos of them working with anybody. No, you know no cool you know, videos of clients or pictures of clients doing a lift or doing an athletic, you know, accomplishment or, or participating in a sport, nothing. It's just all this stupid shit about themselves.
1: Right. And online coaching is usually you're just paying for them to email you a generic program that is already on their website, right? It's not yeah, a personalized or, or they download the program. fucking Shaco yeah, they, app <laughs>
2: for 12 bucks and, and then they, they, they run your numbers into yeah, the Shaco. They, the Shaco, yeah. the Shaco. I, I know a powerlifting coach is making money doing that shit. And, and it's like, shit. Go spend 12 bucks on the app yourself and run your own damn numbers. I mean, that's all they're doing. I mean, it's fucking criminal what some of these
1: people are doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always looked at personalized programs as just that, personalized. You're getting as much information from the person as possible. You're figuring out what their goals are, what equipment they want to use, how many days they can work out, what their lifestyle is like, et cetera, et cetera. And then you design it around those parameters for that person. It's not something where you're just taking a program, from a file and saying, okay, I think this will work for you, boom, send yeah, it out that's to them.
0: cool. <laughs> Here's a cool program, My yep.
1: Final T Nation. Let me just go ahead and change a couple things around and put my name on it. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, done, done well, it's a great service, personalized program. I had a lot of great results sure. with clients when I was doing it where it was great for them because, one, there was accountability. They emailed me their journal every Friday for my feedback, and then if things weren't going the way they should be going, we could make mid-course corrections very easily. they had someone they could ask questions to. They had a direct line. They were like, hey, I did that workout today, and here's how I felt. It's like, all right, let's change a couple things. Let's send me a couple clips of your technique. Let's improve your form. So it was was very effective for a lot of people when done properly. But I I remember people in the RKC would jump on. They're like, oh, wow, you're doing so well with this personalized program. I'm going to jump into it. But they wouldn't do it. The way it should be done, personalized, it would just be here are my goals. All right. okay. I'm going to have you do Turkish get ups and snatches three times a week. And it would it would be that would be the program that someone would send to everybody. Yeah. I think the mistake is when you're trying to get into this business, when you're going, okay, I want to make a lot of money, so I'm going to become a trainer. You know, that's the wrong focus. Can you make a lot of money as a trainer? Yeah, but that shouldn't be the reason why you're getting into it. If you just want to make a lot of money, go be an investment banker. Go be a marketing rep somewhere. You know, go be a yeah, stockbroker. Exactly. If that's your goal. Because no one becomes an investment banker because they have a passion for it. They want to make a lot of money. You know? Exactly. <laughs>
2: not, and, and, no and one if you're, if you're just driven by money, you know, go learn, you know, go be a, a broker. Exactly. Go be an if you're just doing it for the money, Go be an accountant.
1: You know, go do something that's going to make you a lot of money. And that's the reason why no one has any illusions there. No one's going, Man, I just want to help people. You know, that's why that's why I joined Morgan Stanley to help people. You know, <laughs> to get back. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine. You know, you're being honest with yourself. But then, but people bring that mentality to the fitness business and they go, Okay, wow, look at all these gullible people out there. They'll believe anything if I frame it in a certain way, and then I can just charge a big nutshell for it. And make my yep. millions.
2: That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly how it is. And you've got to, I mean, you, this isn't an industry where, you know, a four hour work week exists. You know, you've got to put a lot of work in. You got to work with people. You got to work with a lot of different personality. I mean, y- it's, it's a process and you've got to, you've got to eat shit for a long time, you know, while you figure things out, you know, and if, if you really love helping people and you love being that problem solver and you become somebody who's good at getting people results, the business will take care of itself, but you got to put that work in on the front end and become that person that gets people results, you know, and, and that's what people don't want to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then people like to buy into people take advantage of the fact that people want to believe stupid stuff such as five minute a day workouts or getting great shape in 10 days abs in, in 30 days. And we all know it takes a lot longer to make serious transformations. You can make yep. progress in 30 days. You can make great progress sure. in 30 days that Absolutely. should inspire you to keep going. But these transformations, 30, 60, 90 days, is going to take a lot longer than that, especially for someone who's never worked out before. This is the beginning of their yep. journey. So they need to be prepared for that. And also, why does this something have to happen in 90 days in order for it to be worth your time? How about you're going to feel better? You're going to enjoy the experience. You're gonna, it's going to have a positive impact in everything else you do. You're beginning this lifestyle of discipline that's going to permeate everything else you're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, the, the problem is is a while back, and I don't know if it was just Bill Phillips, but, I mean, when that the whole idea of this 12-week transformation came along, that just assigned this, like, three-month value that it only takes three months to get in shape. Well, you know, you talk to really good bodybuilders, you know, three months is, is peaking for a contest. You know, you, you're not, you're not out of shape getting ready for a contest in three months. I mean, these guys, you know, you, the, the average person is going to look at them and think they're stage ready three months out. You know, three months is peaking. You know, they, they've been, you know, they started their program years ago. You know, and that, that's what people don't, that's what people don't realize. And I think, you know, because of these physique transformations that were so popular in the, what, early mid nineties or whatever, you know, people just automatically assume it only takes 12 weeks to, to get, Six pack abs, or to put fifty pounds on your bench press, and, and it's just it's it's you know it's very discouraging when these people do that, and they realize that they that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that makes it, but at the same time, if you position your business in a certain way, you're going to attract a more intelligent customer. You're not going to attract those kind of people. For example, when I did a lot of online consulting, I rarely had a negative experience of someone that just had this wussy mentality or they had these ridiculous expectations. It was mainly people that were frustrated with being lied to and they wanted to be told some truth on, here's what it's going to take. Here's what you need to do. Let's get this thing going. And they were committed. They were ready to go. So it it was a pleasurable experience on all fronts. They got great results. I enjoyed working with them. So, I think the key is to be honest about what kind of person you want to work with and don't deviate from that rather than having this mentality of, oh, I got to take every single person that contacts me. I've got to try to close them. I've got to try to get them into something. It's
2: the worst thing you can do. I mean, you, you get learning, I learned early on, you got to be willing to say no to people and, and you got to be willing to fire people if. It's not working out mutually, you know, because just like somebody can say, hey, you're not the trainer for me right on. You know, I mean, you got to be able to look at that client and not just look at him as a paycheck, but say, hey, you're this isn't a good fit. You know, there's probably somebody else out there better for you or, or, you know, I've even I've even tried to help people choose somebody that I thought was more in line with what they were looking for. And, you know, I mean, that's actually they appreciate it. You know, because oh, yeah. I mean, because you could just go on just like a drone and taking their money. But I mean, that, you know, right. that that I think that adds a lot of credibility and value to you as a professional being willing to say, hey, you know, I know somebody's going to be a much better fit for you. Here's their info.
1: Definitely. And it makes you stick out too. immediately you stick out because who does that? Most people have this scarcity right. mindset where they just want to close anyone where they're, they're they're not going to turn away business. They're thinking I got to close every single opportunity I have. So when you don't do that, when you don't have that scarcity mindset, when you don't have that desperation tone and you're purposely trying to feed them another, another direction, immediately you stick out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: And I think that's hard, you know, maybe when you're first starting out, you know, and you're not used to – you know, I mean, when you're just learning sales or you're just learning how to, to sell your – I mean, it, it's, it can be it can be scary, you know, early on or, or if you're starting your own business or whatever. So I, I sure. get that. You know, I think that's a growing pain that we all kind of go through and experience, uh, but it's, it's definitely something that you need to get over and realize that there's no shortage of people in the health and fitness. In fact, it's only getting – it's only getting better, particularly for people interested in just general health and weight loss. You have got oodles and oodles of clients out there, man. You know, there, there's going to be no shortage of people that need to get healthier. So if if that's what your niche is in the fitness industry, you should have no right. problem running a very successful business.
1: No, no doubt, no doubt. Also, I think when you have that that desperation tone, people pick up on it. Like I know a very yes. well-known strength coach who. Doesn't want He doesn't turn down anyone because he feels that he needs to make, he needs every dollar he can get. Like, oh, I have to do this because I've got this situation at home and this, this this gym is expensive to run. But the problem is, is that people pick up on that. So now they start negotiating with him going, oh, I don't want to pay you $800 for this many sessions. I'll pay you five. And instead of putting right. those people in their place, checking them immediately, he just does it. I go, man, you're yep. setting a bad president. You don't want to do it. People start trying to negotiate. You go, no, no, no. This is the price, man. When I used to teach a lot of workshops, I would get that. I would get people going, oh, uh, I'll send you half now and then half when the course is like, no, you're not sending me anything. You pay up front. <laughs> I go, when yeah. you decide you want to come to the course, you pay up front. That's it. I don't care if the course is three, three months from now. You wait, wait until, wait three months then to pay up front if you don't want to pay it now. Assuming the course is not sold out, you can still get in. But the last oh, thing I want like to it. do is have to keep track of, okay, who's paid, who hasn't paid, yeah. and then you guys People down, forget it, man. I got to teach all day. I don't want to be thinking about that. And that's being honest with yourself and
2: your value, too. You know, when, when you look at, hey, I'm trading my time for for X amount of dollars, you know, if, if you're saying, hey, my, my rate is at $80 an hour for personal training, you know, if you can't tell somebody that with confidence, people pick up on that, too. Because, if right. some, you, know, right. I, you know, I learned a long time ago, if somebody's talking to you, if somebody's inquiring about your service, they've pretty much already... Made the deal in their mind. Like they, they, they're not going to yep. come in and sit down and go through a consult if they haven't made the decision that they're ready to <laughs> hire a trainer. Right. You've just got to convince them that you're the right person. And if you're sitting there looking down man. at the ground and jabbing your toe in the ground and going, "Well, I charge," you $8 get, all, you get all
1: quiet when it comes to the price. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. So let I charge me tell
2: you, man, $100 $100, I <laughs>
0: say when, when they say, uh, "I don't know if I can afford it," look, when you call me, I already knew you could afford it. Because let me tell you something. I don't go to places that I feel like, "Oh, that's out of my budget." I don't do that to myself. So <laughs> no. my thing is when you when you make Keep that phone with her. call you already have the money you already have the money in hand. What you really want is for me to convince you not to spend your money. And I'm sorry exactly. I'm not gonna do that. So my ex- exactly. ex- who am I to deny you of what you wanna do? You wanna spend money, well damn it, I support you. And I especially you when sh- you You should have money. an
2: idea. You should have an idea when you're looking for a trainer that okay. I know I'm probably going to have to spend X per hour or X per half hour. You're going to have some – it's not like, hey, I'm going to go car shopping – and you know, I, I'm in the market for. Oh, I'm going to go look at Lamborghinis today. You know, you know damn well what kind of car <laughs> so you're, you're going to buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're going to go to the dealership where you know you're going to buy what you can afford. You know, so right. if, if they're if they're contacting you about your services, that they're already willing to to make that sale. You just have to have that confidence. And, and I see that a lot with new training. I, I did it myself. You know, you just you have a hard time. I wasn't a natural sales. I never really had a sales position prior to. You know, becoming a trainer, and that's something you got to get comfortable with really quick. And and you've got it, you know, when you're trading a service for money, I think that's where people get hung up because people don't right. negotiate when they go to the grocery store. You know, no. they don't negotiate don't. when, when you go buy physical goods. What? Yeah, they don't But when you're trading a service, right? <laughs> you know? Exactly. You don't sit there and bargain oh, with yeah, your doctor
1: for, a, for a lawyer. lawyer, lawyer <laughs> for a lawyer, a lawyer, you have to pay just to hear the pitch. <laughs> just yeah. go in there, <laughs> just to go in there and hear how much it's going to cost. You have to pay for that. They're not even going to tell you that for free. So, yeah, we'll set up oh, yeah. the time and here's how much I charge to tell you how much I'm going to charge to, t- <laughs> to right. take your case off.
2: I mean, you walk out of a consultation with an attorney, you're out 350 bucks and you're yeah. first
1: born. You know? It's like whether, whether you hired that person or not. I mean, right. what I always did with my website is all the prices are there. So if you want to know how much the workshop costs, it's not like I had all this elaborate ad copy and then I said, call this number to find out how much it costs. Right. I don't do that bullshit right. where there's someone tries to do a hard sale on the phone. The price is there. Online consulting, all the prices are there why you should do it, frequently asked questions, all that stuff is answered right there. So take the time to go through it. I would just have people signing up. I would just get notification that someone paid and then I would send them the questionnaire and start the process. It was rare that I would have someone say, oh, I'm considering your online consulting. I just have a bunch of questions because I would get those questions all the time to the point where I would just have a frequently asked questions section that answered all of those questions. So pretty much my, my philosophy is always this, people are busy. So give them everything they need to know to make a decision whether it's a supplement, a video, whatever it is, online consulting. Think about, anticipate every question they could possibly have and answer that so that it's easier for them to make it to make a purchasing decision without you having to be involved wasting your own time. Exactly. Well, cool, man. I think that's a great place to stop. <laughs> So does your dog.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> They're chiming in. So what do you have going on, man? Do You have anything that you want to plug anything on the horizon?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've got some cool stuff going on, man. I'm actually, and this is stuff that, that you know, a little uh, little down the road, but I'm actually working on a product. I, I really can't say too much about it right now because we're uh, getting ready to, uh, we're getting our first prototype done, but kind of going back to the, the grab the jiu-jitsu athletes. I mean, we, we've been doing really good with jiu-jitsu jiu athletes over the past year and seen some really cool things in the gym. So I've developed a grip training product for them. Uh, it's, the prototype's getting wrapped up right now, then we're gonna go through the, uh, the provisional patent, the trademark, you know, and make it defensible, but I hope, hopefully we'll have some information on that within the next couple of months. And I'm actually working on my, uh, my next strength and conditioning book is going to be based on all the work that I've been doing with, the uh, jiu-jitsu athletes and the MMA fighters over the last couple of years. The strength, you know, strength training and conditioning and just the, the methodologies oh, that we've been implementing the success that we've seen, we've been seeing because, uh, the, the guys and the girls that are trained are doing really, really good. So it's, uh, you know, th- that's an industry I know we've talked about a lot in the past where there's a lot of, a lot of bad information, there's some people doing some really, really good things, but there's still a lot of bad information out there, and uh, we've just seen so much success with a lot of these guys, and, and uh, it's, it's been really fun uh, to, to work with them, so we're going to try to put put pen and paper down and get some of this stuff out there, and uh, really excited about that product, too. So some definitely some cool things coming out over probably uh, you know throughout the summer, so we're really looking forward to dropping that stuff.
1: Oh, very cool, man. And also, people can check out your YouTube channel. You put up a lot of great information there. You're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then what's your yeah, website? Yeah,
2: pretty much uh, tw- Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and if they just go to my uh, my, – I've got two websites to keep a personal site. Then I also have my gym website. My gym website is eptsgym.com, and then my personal website is just ScottShetler.com and I've got links to – I, you know, all my social media, my, my YouTube page, my blog is live on, you know, with my video blogging and stuff is live on both of those links to any books that I've done and stuff like that. So if they go to either one of those sites, they should be able to find out all the information that they, uh, that they care to, uh, about what I'm doing. So.
1: Well, very cool, man. Yeah. Thanks again, But Always great talking to you.
2: Yeah. It's good talking to you guys, man. I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, hopefully getting back out to uh, Vegas for some, uh, hummus with you, Mike.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll ma- <laughs> We can grab some hummus after after a really good concert over there at Brooklyn Bowl.
2: Well, we'll have to get Jack to come up, man. You know, we will we'll go out for some hummus together. So.
1: Yeah, if we're really lucky, we can all hit Denny's. If we go to a concert on Fremont Street, <laughs> we'll, we'll go get that vegan burger. <laughs> Sounds
2: like a plan, dude. Maybe Buckethead right, headline. headlining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, hopefully our, there should be a – summer is usually an, an interesting time for Vegas because you would think a lot of good concerts would come through, but there's, it's usually hit or miss. And right now right yeah. now it's been pretty light, actually, in Las Vegas. There hasn't been a whole lot that I've been excited about so far this year. And that's it, man. <laughs>
2: All right. It, it's been light down here in Atlanta,
1: too, man. You know, it, that uh,
2: Dropkick Murphy's in Agnostic Front a couple months ago, and that's been about it. So uh, we're a bit of a concert dry spell down here, too, so.
0: Well, it usually, Vegas the is feast usually starts at the end of summer. Usually at the end yeah. of summer is when the concert season yeah. starts. Yeah. that's right. So, when things, when you know, when the heat of summer is pretty much dying down and right before the fall, right before kids start going back to school and everything or right when it starts. So that's usually how concert season works, especially outdoor yeah, concerts.
2: Yeah, I've, I've been debating, right. uh, are, are you going to go check out Slayers, uh, too, you know, because they're doing their, uh, supposedly their, uh, their, Final uh, tour right now. You know they're they're supposedly breaking yeah. up
1: after this. So, yeah, it'll it'll so go on for their, like, a couple of years. Yeah, it'll go on for a while. They're, they're not playing. They haven't put a Vegas date up so far. I'll definitely go when they do. It'll probably be sometime next year because they were just here last year. I mean, I've seen them three times yeah. in Vegas.
2: I just saw them with Anthrax and uh, uh, Death Angel about a year and a half ago or so in Atlanta, and then they're just coming around for the, they're going to be in Atlanta. I'm kind of bummed because uh, the the, the tour is amazing. It's going to be Slayer, Anthrax. Uh, Testament, Lamb Behemoth, God, and Lamb of God, and then yeah. when they come to Atlanta, though, they're swapping up. Behemoth's not going to be on that leg; they're actually going to bring Napalm Death. So I was really stoked about seeing Behemoth. I mean, that, that's you're talking about a, a a show with five headliners, man. I mean, that, oh, that, yeah. that
1: could be a really good tour. Napalm Death, they're pretty crushing too, though. That'll be good. Yeah, and the lead singer is, he's a very vocal vegan as well. He's an interesting guy. I've thought about getting him on the show. So that would be a actually, good lineup. Uh,
2: I met them. They played in Cleveland. This is when I was playing in my, uh, my band back in 96, I think it was. Uh, my, my girlfriend at the time was really good friends with John McInty from Incantation. So okay. uh, she and I took him up to that show, and it was Napalm Death, and I forgot who they were playing with. They were playing at the Cleveland Agora, but because John knew everybody, he got us you know, backstage with Napalm Death. They were really cool guys, man, really cool guys.
1: Yeah, the guy Barney, the singer, seems like an interesting yeah. dude. I've heard him on a couple other shows. I think he was on Josta's podcast. I've heard him on a few other shows too. Really interesting guy.
2: Yeah, I talked to him and Mitch, and they 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 were all really cool. But I mean, you just see that in the scene, you know. For the most part, everybody's really cool when you get to meet them and talk to them.
1: Yeah, it actually it kind of throws you off when that's not the case because you're so many so many of the people are cool that when they're not, you're you're you're, you're, you're somewhat speechless. Sometimes you're like, oh shit, this guy's really a dickhead.
2: Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of disappointing, but uh, but you, know, you mentioned Joss's show, man. He's got it's so cool because you get to hear from so many of these people, you know, on the personal level, and and it just kind of reiterates, you know, most everybody in the scene that you you know that takes the time to do that seems pretty pretty cool. He does
1: a great show. Yeah, there's another show if you like Jaws does. It's, it's by Doc Coyle from God forbid, and it's called the X Men, and all it is is people coming on the show who used to be in other bands or used to do other things, and now they're doing something else. So that's, oh, that's pretty cool. interesting. Yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting theme. So he'll talk to people that are maybe maybe used to be in, let's say, biohazard. Now they're doing another band, or they used to be in a band and now they're completely out of the industry. They're in the corporate world, or they're doing something totally different. There's this one guy from he has he has a gym called Rise Above Fitness, right? I think his I forget his band's name. It's a hardcore band. Hardcore. It wasn't a hardcore band. Here it is, Brendan Shepet.
0: Yeah, Bridget, pod- yeah, Brandon, I
1: mm-hmm. remember Okay, Bleeding Through is the hardcore band he used to be in. And then he st- he got out of that and started Rise Above Fitness, right, a gym, and then a fitness clothing line, and he's done really well. So that that's an interesting one. What's the yeah. name of
2: the podcast again? X-Men?
1: It's called, let's see, it's called Doc Coils X-Men. He was on Jost's show. That's how I found out about the show. Oh, cool,
2: I'm yeah. I'm, I'm definitely yeah. going to check that out. That sounds cool.
0: Yeah, Brandon Sheppard, I remember. Him. Yeah, actually, I, I came across him a few years ago, actually on Instagram. So he, that's not the guy I was thinking about. I was thinking about Bobby Shibieski, um who pretty much he, who's uh, associated with like WWE, his wife or whatever. But yeah, there's actually, a few guys. Maybe, uh, yeah, Brandon. Yeah, he's actually, people. Like I said, he started posting on Instagram probably. I probably said about around like 2014 or something like that when I first came across his account, and you know um, that's when I first discovered him over there. <clears throat> so. For one of the few, one of the few fitness people that were legit that was on Instagram at that time. When you didn't have a <laughs> bunch of fake people you know, at that time, so it actually it kind of stood out at that time. Whereas now everybody and their mama is a freaking fitness expert on Instagram.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's been some cross pollinization between hardcore bands and fitness, such as Gavin from Burn. He's been on the show many yeah. times, and he's a strength coach. That's his main thing, and Burn is more of a like a fun side project for him. And then one of the the sick of it old guys, a boxing coach, I think they're bassist. So there's definitely a there's definitely a lot of permeation between the two worlds, which is really Oh interesting. yeah. Harley Harley from the Chrome Eggs is a black belt and ju Crazy Jiu Jitsu at Henzo's teaches at Henzo's yeah. place.
2: My yeah, my my friend uh Ryan Ford runs the Grappling Central podcast and he just had Harley it's not posted yet, but he just interviewed Harley. Oh, cool. I think uh Last week for his, show. it's the biggest, uh, jujitsu show. I'm actually gonna be on, I think my episode drops, we recorded it, actually the day I went to see Agnostic and Dropkick, but, uh, I think it's gonna drop on the 12th of April or whatever, but it's, it's a really good show, you know, mostly about jujitsu and stuff like that, but, uh, he gets some great, great guests on there, and Harley was on, I think, last week, so his, his episode should be out soon too.
1: Yeah, he's he's a great interviewee. I want to get him back on the show. He's an interesting dude.
2: Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you see a lot of you know. I, I know you talked about this on on a couple of your shows recently, but you definitely see a big crossover between that sort of uh, extreme music and whether it's healthy lifestyle training, you know, whatever. There, there tends to be a lot more a lot more of that, I think, in that in that scene.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's both expressions of a very similar energy, right? So it's 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 not a big. It's not a big step to, to take that energy from one world and just transfer it into another. One thing, this Rise Above guy, he made a funny point because it's what I thought when I got into this industry as well as he goes, no one no one's making this stuff cool right now. You <laughs> This is a long time ago right. we I got in. It was a bunch of guys with polo shirts and khaki pants walking around with a clipboard. He goes, I know I can make this cool where people like me are going to resonate with this. And that's pretty much what, what my line of thinking was as well. When I got in, I go, I, I'm going to... I mean, I didn't get in going, okay, I'm going to get into the fitness world and target people that listen to hardcore music. I was, that's so that's so limiting. That would be silly. But I was thinking that those kind of people would gravitate towards what I'm doing just because I'm going to have a different image, a different energy than what's out there right now.
2: Well, yeah. And and, I mean, you know, you think about too, like kettlebells, like I had this conversation with uh, Jeremy from a comeback kid. He and I've become pretty good friends over the last couple of years. And uh, he contacted me when, uh, he contacted, I think they were in Indiana. It was right before they came down to Atlanta on the last tour that they came through Atlanta. And uh, he was like, hey, man, he goes, you got any advice on on kettlebells? You know, he said, I was thinking about maybe grabbing one, you know, while I'm on the road, you know, to train. Because he's he's really big in a distance running those marathons and stuff like that. And, right. uh, you know, I thought about it. I'm like, man, kettlebell training is perfect for those people oh, yeah. that, you know, the road warriors living out of vans and stuff like that. And it was cool. We ended up having... Had the band over after they played Atlanta. They came over to the gym the next day and we did a big kettlebell workout and then we, uh, we went and got some vegan food after. But, uh, it's, it's perfect for those, those types of people, man. I mean, they, they love the workout and, uh, you know, it works really good. You know, you can throw a couple kettlebells in the van or on the bus and, and take them anywhere. It's, it's a great way to, uh, it's a great way for them to train. I mean, cause, you know, yeah. you're cooped up on a, on a van or a bus all day, man. It's, you, you need to get out and get some, get some work done. It's really, really rough on the body.
1: Yeah. I mean, you only need one, right? If you really want to strip it down to a minimalist approach, you just take one moderate kettlebell so you can just get in some basic work. So yeah. Even if you're on a van and you don't want to have stuff take up space, if you're flying around, it becomes impractical. But if you're in a van touring around, which is what most of these people are doing, then it can definitely work.
2: Cool. Did, did you ever know when you were at Dragon Door? did you know the dude who uh, he, he wrote, I think it was that hard style magazine they did for a while, but I think the guy was actually Metallica's tour bus driver for a while and uh, he, he wrote, he was a big kettlebell proponent. I don't know if he was an RKC, but he, he wrote this article, I think, in Hardstyle Magazine. And he talked about how he kept his uh, kettlebells right on the bus. And then whenever he got the, got the band to the venue, he'd, he'd pull the kettlebells out and just train right there in the parking lot. And, you know, he was just talking about the, the looks that you get from people going by. But I was like, man, that is just perfect for that, that, that sort
1: of lifestyle. Was he a guy from Arizona? I think I do know that person because I think he did some stuff with Circus Olay as well.
2: I you know I I can't remember man because it was from so long ago yeah, but uh, yeah. I I definitely know he was he was driving the uh, the tour bus from Metallica but that, that's that's the only thing I remember from it.
1: <laughs> that's, it's probably it's probably the only thing worth remembering you know,
2: from it. That, well yeah, yeah I know it's hard to believe but I, I don't sit there and go through my old issues of Hardstyle or uh, yeah, Dragonlord <laughs> magazine anymore so.
1: Yeah. 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 There were, there were definitely a lot of people from interesting backgrounds that would do stuff like that. There, there would be limo drivers that would have kettlebells in their trunk and between clients they'd get in workouts. So it, 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 it attracted a much demogra- different demographic, which I figured it would, because there was something about kettlebell training where people, there were a lot of people who didn't even like lifting weights, especially a lot of women, who just something about kettlebells they loved. They loved the kettlebell swing, the kettlebell snatch, Turkish getups, etc. There was something about those moves that really resonated with them. So it brought yeah, it in a parallel, much different demographic.
2: It could parallel so many different things because, you know, like you said, that demogra- it, it, you could see how it could apply to, like, the yoga demographic and the martial artists, the the strength athletes. It could really – it crosses a lot of different disciplines and then as a great, you know, standalone fitness system in and of itself. So it can appeal to a lot of people. And I, I just remember – I actually wrote an article about this, but when I, I competed at the Arnold Classics – uh, kettlebell competition back in two thousand nine. It was the first one that they did, and it was a ton of people. There was like hundred. I think sincere. Were you there for that one in in two thousand nine? Yeah, it was at the it was at the Arnold. Day. And then they started doing it. You know, after that as, as a regular event. Yeah, but, I remember the, our, the yeah, very first the one deal. I didn't
0: make it to. The second one I made it to. Um, okay, so you, you went was, to twenty ten. Twenty ten. Yeah, I didn't make it to the very first.
2: I, I competed to that at that one of my buddy my buddy Eric who was a guitarist my my band in Ohio. He came down. I was living in Atlanta at the time, but he came down to, to the event to watch the contest and, and to hang out for the weekend or whatever. And he said to me, you know, as he walked around the venue because we always used to go there. And he said, "Man, he goes, uh, he goes. These kettlebell lifters are like the punk rockers of the, the strength world. Yeah, you know, they're, they're like the punk exactly rock right. misfits of the strength world. Yeah, and, and it's really right. You know, he's looking at the big jacked up strongmen and power lifters and bodybuilders, and the kettlebellers were they're they're like the cool." you know, kinda kinda punk rock misfit to the whole uh, strength community. And, and he was really onto something. So I wrote an article about, you know, kettlebells being a punk rock of strength training or whatever, but it was uh it was such a cool comment, you know, and cool observation from somebody outside that community.
1: Yeah, and it resonated with those kind of people too. Like I got Harley into kettlebell training and then he got a bunch of people because a lot of people look at whatever he's doing and and emulate whatever he's into. But I, I just I just felt it was something there was there was a cool factor about it that I figure would resonate with people that are probably not excited about going to the gym and doing incline presses or leg extensions.
2: It's kind of a fringe uh, strength training fitness tool, you know, and and those people that are kind of on the the fringe with, you know, music or society or whatever, definitely gravitate toward that stuff, you know,
1: just the way it looks. Okay. I mean, now it's been ruined by, on it with their stupid fucking demon kettlebells so always oh, yeah. Kettlebells. <laughs> now it's so now it's 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 not mainstream necessarily in terms of popularity but it's mainstream in terms of awareness like people know what it is yep.
2: they and, really and, and, and marketing it. and the the commercialization yeah. of it
1: right like, right you know, there's always one going to be if
0: someone's in a gym and they're doing some type of vignette or whatever there's always a kettlebell right. sitting on the floor or there's somebody exactly. doing a curl with a kettlebell right. like Put that down. Put that down. Oh, you down see it down. in television <laughs>
2: shows now, in <and> movies, <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah.
0: Exactly. It's only like, yeah, another thing. You start seeing all these, all these different, like, you know, military or these special op guys or whatever. So when they're in the bunkers or whatever,
1: there's some remote location. Only thing they have is their kettlebell.
0: <laughs> you know, sitting there. Yep. They the black kettlebell there. The it's,
1: it's become part of the vernacular as well, where I forget which show it was, but someone shook someone's hand and he's like, oh, wow. A strong grip. You must do kettlebells, you know, or something like that. Yeah. And I, so I've heard, I've heard phrases like that many times, or someone going, "Oh, you must do kettlebell swings." In the context of a show, so that that You're stuff right. always cracks me up. As someone that's been in this journey since the very beginning,
2: it's cool, you know, on on one hand, but on on the other hand, you know, th- those those early days were a lot of fun too. So.
1: They were. It's just not, it's not exciting anymore because it's so proliferated is where I'm going. That's what I'm trying to say. Back then it was really uncharted territory. You'd be training with kettlebells at a park and people would be like, whoa, what the hell is that? You know, it would be a conversation starter. It was something totally different than what people are used to seeing. Just the way it looked, what you do with it was totally different. It it doesn't change
2: the effectiveness of, of it as a means of training, but it's definitely a different, it's like you said, it's just, it's, it's, It's mainstream. Everybody knows it now,
1: you know? Yeah, that's why I always tell people, too, I go, what a lot of us did early on in terms of building our businesses, Steve Cotter, myself, Maxwell, Nate Morrison, Jeff Martone, we all had similar models, different applications of the tool, but similar models in that we made videos, we wrote ebooks, we traveled and taught courses, and we all did really well in our respective niches with it. But for someone to try to duplicate what we did then now would be nearly impossible because no one wants to go to a workshop unless they're getting some kind of certification, right? Just for the idea right. of going for knowledge. Back then is, oh, Mike coming to Ohio. Well, no one even has, there's no kettlebell instructor in Ohio period at this point. So we better go to his course because it's the only chance we have to get some in-person instruction. You know, you were dealing with that kind of situation.
2: Yeah. Now it's like, like totally anything. It's just, world. it's just overly saturated now. You know, I mean, back then, you know, there, there was no, there were no teachers or no training. Nobody knew about it. So people were, you're, you're hungry for the info. So you'll go wherever to get it. Same with kettlebell comp- competitions. Early on, there were so few contests, you know, people would travel all over and they were these like big fucked up family reunions. But now, you know, every <laughs> major city has got a kettlebell. <laughs> meet, so you go to these kettlebell contests and there's like five people at them, you know, until you get to the big, the big national level contests, you know?
1: Yeah, that fucked up family re- family reunion describes it very accurately. Yeah, in more ways than one, yeah. For those of us that were behind the scenes, it, I would not behind a the scenes too ended. much. <laughs> yeah. that's a good place to end it. That's a good starting point. Now let's talk about that. Yeah. That's, another, that's another episode.
2: <laughs> that, that should be a premium <laughs> subscriber episode, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about all the behind the scenes stuff we're going to put all of our knowledge pools together. <laughs> just again, man, the
2: early days were a lot of fun, right?
1: <laughs> they, they were interesting.
2: <laughs> they're, yeah, they were interesting. There you go.
1: Well, awesome, man. Great having you. Great talking to you. Yeah, you thanks again, we'll guys. talk to you soon.
2: Yeah, always a lot of fun talking to you guys, and uh, we'll check in with you later, man. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. You take care. That's thanks, Scott. Really take care, man. Take care, man. Take mm-hmm. Bye. All right. We can wrap up there. Another fun episode. Yeah. And make sure to check out Scott's work and also support the show again. Use that coupon code LLA. You can go to either one of our websites, get 10% off everything you see. You can leave us reviews or you should leave us reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the show. And make sure to share episodes as well. And hop over to Patreon talk
0: about those bonus episodes. So that's the place to get them, patreon.com slash LLA podcast. All right. That's going to wrap it up.
1: All All right, folks. Take care, everyone.
0: (laughs) Take care, folks. (laughs)